welcome to the 276th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony and this is the podcast about sick people talking about entertainment, um, comic books, movies, and random things, entertainment, uh, all that stuff. I totally messed that up, but that's that's kind of how I'm feeling. So uh, I just started feeling, I'm, I'm not full on sick, but I, I think it's just a, I don't know if it's a cold. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling stuffed up and... I don't get sick very often, which I'm so thankful for. But when I do, I'm just, it, it doesn't like just completely knock me out, but it just, it really wipes me out. So anyways, uh, big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently, or actually, I don't know, what am I currently, I don't know, what did I do last, last week I did an off my mind about Superman and why he needs a secret identity. You can, basically just me talking for 30 minutes about Superman, secret identity, and the history of removing it and bringing it back and removing it, and hopefully, if the rumors are true, coming back, so you can hear all about that. But if you, uh, oh, and this coming week, I'm just really, really all over the place. Um, I'm, I think I might talk about a movie this week. I'm, I really need to figure that out, but I, I have one in mind. There's something else I want to do, another different movie. We'll see. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash g-man from heck um i don't know how to, this audio sound because i'm looking at the levels and it doesn't look normal but i i think everything is is good i hope this is good so uh, this week what are we going to talk about <laughs> besides me being sick there's no movie in the theater that, that came out i th- thought the the whale was going to open but i guess that's only like new york and la so i'm not going to go to new york or la just just to see the movie there was that really bad looking Christmas movie uh, that after watching Violet Night it, I couldn't do it the other one just looked bad uh, so this week's feature is Doom Patrol season 4 is back with two episodes so let me just say along with me kind of being maybe like sick or whatever or just run ragged from this this week it's you know things have been hectic as, as, as always I I'm so far behind. Just there's just so much stuff. So I'm gonna apologize right now, but you know, we're still gonna get the episode. We have the majority of stuff. You know, we're gonna talk about the peripheral, the season finale of Stargirl, final two episodes of Wednesday, and then I mentioned two episodes of Doom Patrol. So I'm just really bummed because his dark material came back and you know, I, I talked about my my hesitation. I was like, I don't know, and everything like that. The problem is they dropped two episodes. And I didn't even have time to watch one episode. So I may, I might be just behind and I don't know how much that matters. And I just feel compelled that two episodes drop. I need to talk about two episodes, but maybe, I don't know if if you're keeping up with it. I mean, I have talked about the first two seasons, so I feel like I should continue with this final season. So we'll see if I get a chance to, to watch that because with Stargirl and Wednesday over and peripherals over as a season finale, so I guess I'm going to have to, there's no other show besides Doom Patrol, because I'm pretty sure, I hope, I don't think Titans was on this week, I th- think it's that mid-season, whatever, hiatus, 
Then the other bummer is Rick and Morty came back also uh, last week. And I remembered because it was supposed to be December 5th or whatever. And it, it, December 5th came when my students like, oh, did you watch new Rick and Morty? I'm like, oh, that came back, didn't it? So I, I still have to watch that. <laughs> so maybe we'll talk about that next week. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And then the other thing, which is just crazy. I don't understand. I haven't read all the comics this week either. And it was semi-light, at least DC was was lighter than Marvel. Marvel's putting out so many books, which, you know, congrats to everyone working on these books, but my goodness. So I didn't even get to finish reading everything. And there's there's like a bunch of like there's like image books I haven't read. And so I'm I'm feeling really bad. I'm feeling bad physically and emotionally, I guess. And because I'm stuffed up, it's it's like <laughs> TMI. My my congestion is like on the right side of my nostrils or my, on my head, and it's like kind of upper, like at the bridge of my nose, and it's so freaking annoying. So you might be hearing some, uh, hopefully not. And then I'm going in between, like being stuffed up. Then all of a sudden, I can feel like like someone turned on the faucet. My nose is like going to start gushing. That doesn't, but it's like it's about to start dripping, like on that side only, and. I just I'm so confused. I don't understand. But let's um let's see what I can do this week with with this. Oh, and also because of how I'm feeling, um I didn't get the amazing art picks done or maybe I didn't get it done on time. So as I record this, I'm I'm putting a priority on the recording because, you know, I if I figured that whatever. So I'd I'd like to still do the amazing art picks on entertainmentfish.com, but we'll see if that happened or not. All right. With the news, oh man, I, um, uh, let's see a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of DC movie news and there's some speculation and there, there's just a lot of, you know, people report on things and they report on, on things as if they're true. And that's, that's the annoying thing about entertainment media where people hear one thing and then they just kind of run with it. And, and that's one of the things I do like about James Gunn, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about James Gunn, but he he tends to kind of call things out. He's like, that's not true, and so, so you know, there's there's just there's not a lot of facts, and people are just making all these assumptions. So the first thing is apparently Wonder Woman three is first they're, they're saying it's canceled, but now it's not necessarily canceled. But what the deal was is they rejected the script that Patty Jenkins came up with. They said it didn't quite fit with their plans. And they gave her the opportunity to make some revisions and they gave her some notes or anything. And she's just like, nope. She's, she, I think she didn't even want to look at them. And I don't even think she met with, with James Gunn and Peter. Is it Peter Safran? I don't know. I'm sorry. So she's just like, like nah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So, so she's she's bailing on it. And so that doesn't necessarily mean it's over because a lot of people are like, oh, DC is trying to move away from the Snyder verse, which <laughs> I don't blame them. But that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, they're like, they're going to re reboot everything. So they're going to cut all, you know, wipe off any connections to, you know, previous things. But by them saying that, you know, they're, they're kind of, they don't want any baggage. You know, they just want to start over. So they're, they're, they're pointing out that, well, Henry Cavill, there is no deal. And, you know, there's a lot of talks like, oh, he's coming back. He's, you know, the Man of Steel 2, Superman or something like that. But there's nothing like set. There, there's there's no deal or nothing. Nothing is moving forward. And then 
<laughs> I don't know where this came from, but people are talking about Jason Momoa. So Jason Momoa, Aquaman, and we, you know, we have Aquaman to Electric Boogaloo coming out, but people are saying it's like, oh, he's going to be Lobo instead, which. <laughs> No, I mean, he could probably be a good Lobo, but I don't think they're going to do that. And then, oh, so anyways, with, with this stuff, you know, James Gunn's like, you know, the, I think the Hollywood reporters reported on most of this stuff. And they're like, yeah, some of that's true. And some of it, not, some of it is not true. And some of it is just, there's there's no no answers. You know, we're, we're nowhere. And like Gal Gadot has mentioned that you know she is still interested, or you know she'd like to return to the character, so they could st- still be moving forward, but maybe not. I, I don't know, because they're also talking about their ten-year plan. So it could be possible, like let's say they are looking at a reboot. You know, it's like okay, we're we want to do this ten ten-year plan. Is Gal Gadot going to want to do Wonder Woman for ten years? You know, is she going to want to be around, do cameos or, or sequels or anything like that? And then maybe they're like, well, then this is a time to do it they could i mean would they want to start again with her or continue with her and then have to recast in seven years i don't know so there's just like a lot that we don't know and then people are talking about well what about black adam and here's some there's a little little mix up here with what what dwayne johnson is saying and what the numbers are saying He's saying because it, it's it's not even clear if it's going to break even. So, what I, I've talked about this before, and what what people I think don't always take into consideration, in order for a movie to be profitable, it's not that okay. So, if a movie let's say has a two hundred million dollar budget, it's not like if it makes two hundred and one million, it it's a, it's profitable because the two hundred million covers the budget. Then you have all of the promotional stuff. So they tend to say it usually has to make like three times, not tw- you know twice the amount, and needs to do like three times the amount in order to be profitable. Profitable. So even if they made the budget, that's not necessarily breaking even because you have all the other costs. Black Adam apparently did three has done three hundred eighty four point eight million worldwide so that's not including this weekend if it picks up anything but it's i don't think it's going to pick up much the budget was between 190 and 195 so it has made its budget but then there's like 80 to 100 million in promo so we're looking at like maybe so if we say 195 that's almost 200 million and then maybe 100 in promos so it's almost like 300 million for the the budget and all the promotional stuff so if it's at 384, so yeah, maybe it, it's a, a little profitable. Uh, but some people are saying that it's, it's like one report, I think it was Variety, it said it looks like it's it might be, could be losing 50 to 100 million. I'm not sure where that came from. But Dwayne Johnson says that the profit's going to be, it's right now it's between like 52 and 72 million profit. I don't know about that either. It's, it's just, who, who knows? And it's going to be coming on HBO Max, I think, this week. So I don't know how that. I don't think that's going to add anything. It's not like you know people are necessarily going to subscribe just to, to get it. And then I, the other thing would be is like it'll you know Blu-ray sales. What will that be? Will people buy that? And that will hopefully add to it. So it's not you know guaranteed that there's going to be a, a Black Adam too. And 
I I think it would have been smart to tie Black Adam and Shazam, but maybe Shazam is just lighter toned than the, what Dwayne Johnson would have wanted. I I don't know. And then it just really felt like you know Dwayne Johnson's really trying to push the the Superman Henry Cavill thing when that is not something that is really can be used to push. I mean, you're talking a little cameo spoiler if you haven't heard by now. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what, what's going to happen, but. It's not looking super good, um, but as far as the, the Flash goes, the whatever they're calling it, Flashpoint, Warner Brothers is actually moving that a week forward or ahead, up, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Remember, I'm sick, so so be, be kind. Uh, so it looks like it's going to come out June 16th, 2023, and that gives it two weeks to be in the theaters while, before Indiana Jones comes out. So that could be part of it. I forget what's coming out the, the, the next week, whatever. While we're talking about The Flash, <laughs> my nose is like dripping. Uh, the Flash Season 9 on the CW will start on February 8th, 2023. And again, there's only going to be 13 episodes while they, they wrap that all up. Also, while we're talking about <laughs> um, DC, they've announced like the, the voice the 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 voice actors that's what i'm trying to say for suicide squad kill the justice league the video game that i think it was it was delayed right it was supposed to come out already and then they delayed it so it looks like uh kevin conroy actually voiced the batman so a little bittersweet but um if, maybe that that's going to get people to buy it if, if it's his final you know performance and I think he does do, like, I am the knight, I'm the vengeance. You know, I think he, he says that in there. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't think I will be getting it just because I don't have time for games. Games. I need a PlayStation 5 before I start doing anything. There, oh, there's a trailer, some Star Wars stuff. There was a Star Wars Jedi uh, Survivor trailer. I didn't watch that because it was a video game and because of time and... I, I I have no no comment on it because I yeah I haven't played I don't know anything about it but there was a trailer for Star Wars Bad Batch season two um, so that's coming back January fourth so that'll be here before we know it and um, you know we see some familiar faces we see Rex in there which is is cool and there was a, a, a Wookiee with a lightsaber so I don't know if that's um I forget which what Wookiee that is I don't. Oh, have we seen Wookiee Jedi in the current stuff? Because in the books, which don't don't count anymore, I don't think it was Chewbacca's son. I don't think it was Lumpy. Was Lumpy did Lumpy become? He didn't become a Jedi, or was it like Lumpy's cousin or Chewbacca's nephew? I guess it doesn't matter since sadly that that doesn't that's no no longer anything. Gil Keenan is going to be directing the next Ghostbusters movie. So, um, who is it? Reitman, not Ivan Reitman. He's, I guess, not doing it. So, okay, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, that that'll be good. And I looked up what Gil Keenan did. I don't think I was, in, I was super familiar with anything. I could be wrong. And then uh, two actresses have been added to daredevil born again for major roles i'm i'm kind of worried about this and, and again with with these two actresses i'm sure they're super talented at everything i wasn't familiar i hadn't haven't seen like what what the stuff that they were in i think and um you know we don't know who's playing who but you know, they're making all these announcements and i 
I'm a little worried that like all these people, I mean, I guess it'd be fine, but it's, are they just casting like a bunch of like mob boss people and, you know, like they're whatever associates and, and different things. Cause I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll have to see if who's, you know, there's little questions like, is Electra coming back and are they going to recast and people are getting mad and all that, which whatever. Um, I think, Oh, there was one thing. Uh, apparently, so with James Gunn, going back to James Gunn, he, you know, he one thing he mentioned about all this stuff going on that they're still just beginning, you know. So everyone's like freaking out or doing all this stuff, but they're just they're still you know mapping things out. And again, they have this ten year plan, so we have to have a little confidence. You know, James Gunn, he did a great job with Peacemaker. It is Peacemaker, right? I don't know why that doesn't sound right. And, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, even though my feelings and current feelings and Star-Lord, you know, I, I did really enjoy the holiday special. So I'm sure they, they're going to do an awesome job. And I, I really think that that's what, what we need because there hasn't been a 10-year plan. You know, it was always just kind of like a free-for-all. And and even with the, the Snyder stuff or whatever, you know, there it wasn't overly planned. You know, there, yeah, we're going to do Aquaman or we're going to do Flash movie, but it didn't really feel like anyone was talking to each other like really mapping things out oh and then uh you know i saw that jeff johns was trending on twitter so i'm like you know part of it was because star girl finale which i i really loved and then people just talking about you know with all this dc news so they're 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 trying to put the blame like some of the wonder woman blame on jeff johns because you know he worked on wonder woman too but like one comment and i this is the thing that, that just bothers me. You know, I, I don't claim to know everything about everything, but someone, you know, they're trying to say that the first Wonder Woman was so, I'm mean, like out of breath all of a sudden. <laughs> and I just had a sip of coffee and I'm like out of breath. But people are saying that the first, you know, there's, there's a huge difference in tone and everything between Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 84. Just different eras and everything. And I, I really think 84, I, I didn't love the movie. I you know I will admit that there were some some good things to it, but I didn't super duper love it as much as I did the first one. But I think you know with eighty four they're they're trying to embrace the eighties you know era and trying to make things a little campy or whatever. And you know because everyone's complaining it was so serious and everything, and then it's a little lighter and then people complain. So it's just like you know people can't make up their minds. But people are trying to say that the the huge difference was because Zack Snyder was secretly you know involved or secretly wrote Wonder Woman or whatever. Patty Jenkins can't write Wonder Woman, which is all a bunch of crap and, and everything like that. And then you know they're also saying because Jeff Johns was so heavily involved with eighty four and that he wasn't involved with the first Wonder Woman that there is a difference there. But it's like um, I went to London before like months before Wonder Woman came out and. Jeff Johns was there with Patty Jenkins. Jeff Johns is there working on the movie with Patty Jenkins. I didn't see Zack Snyder there. <laughs> so, but it, it, you know, for people saying that Jeff Johns didn't work on the first Wonder Woman, you know, maybe he didn't co-write it. I, I don't even know what, what his, his title was. And I'm not going to look it up because I, I don't really feel I need to, but it's just, people are just so quick to, it, it's just, it's just, it's, it's sad. Last bit of news, which I'm super excited for. I'm, I'm also super nervous about this. So Mike Flanagan 
as uh, we mentioned, or as I mentioned, his uh, Midnight Club was that with the Netflix show? It got canceled, and it's it's kind of interesting. Is you know he it was announced that he has a deal with Amazon, and that same day, Netflix is like we're canceling the show. He he says that they're they're not related. That it was just like a coincidence or whatever. I don't know. It does seem kind of weird that because with I guess sometimes they make the cancellations because I, I think like Cowboy Bebop was canceled pretty pretty soon. But it, it's weird the way this works because like with Wednesday, I still don't know if Wednesdays has a, a second season or not. I'm I keep seeing these weird like like things i've never heard of pages or sites or whatever on facebook it's like some suggested or promote it's it's a lot of it's promoted so someone's paying for me to see this you know they're, they're promoting their posts so it, it, it reaches more people or whatever and they keep talking about wednesday season two but it's like i haven't heard anything and i haven't received any because you know, i get press releases from from netflix i haven't seen anything it's 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 very possible i may have missed an email because I get way too many emails from whatever. So I, they haven't, I don't think they've announced, I don't think it's official yet, even though the first week it like broke stranger things for numbers, you know, broke the records and it even broke like week two numbers. So you would, and and people are like, Oh, we don't know if it's going to be renewed or not, but it's like, (laughs) How how can how can it not be renewed when it's doing all these crazy numbers? Oh, and then speaking of, actually, I don't even want to address this. There's a little drama over over Wednesday. People are whatever attacking, not really attacking, but they're they're getting all up. So I'll guess I mentioned it. So if you saw the Wednesday dance, apparently Jenna Ortega was had COVID then. She didn't know that, you know, she, she had some symptoms, you know, she was feeling a a little sick, but you know, she, they were apparently awaiting test results. They filmed the scene or whatever. And then it turned out she had COVID. I think she had COVID. I'm pretty sure she she had it. So people are like, oh, she endangered everyone. You know, she's doing this, you know, whatever. And also like that, but maybe you know it, it's not like it was her choice and it's not like she you know if if she was tested and they're waiting the results so it's not like she was hiding it so they knew about it maybe whoever you know production people should have said hey let's let's pause today just in case but it's it's just it's such a weird thing and i was actually talking to my daughter about this it's, it's so hard to know because like you know right now i'm feeling a little sick and of course you know anytime you hear someone's sick it's like covid you know, that, that's like the, the media thing because people are still getting it. And I know some people are, just think it's it's it does it's like a fairy tale now or it's over. No, it's not over. People are still getting it. I'm still getting My students are still getting it. My students are disappearing. And then you find out or, you know, they'll, they'll let you know. It's like, oh, I got COVID. So, you know, they're home for a few days. You know, I'm still wearing my mask in the classroom. And I know some people are like, they refuse. I don't know why. Because that's the thing. You could have COVID and not realize it and you're endangering other people. Same thing. Other people could have it or, you know, infecting you and all that. So, you know, the once her test results came in, then I think then they quarantined her and then they just worked around it. They filmed, you know, other scenes that didn't involve her and so forth. But it's just like, I you know I don't think she intentionally tried to do anything. I don't think anyone because why would you do that? And it, it's such a risk. You know you don't want to risk 
the whole cast and crew because if, if it's going to spread like wildfire if, if you know you're going to do that and it's not like they're like oh we don't want to halt one day or two days but if you don't if, if there's a possibility you're going to infect everyone and that's going to cause more than a day or two of whatever so there's that so don't don't gang up on her oh wait <laughs> back to what i was talking about so mike flanagan he is apparently going to be adapting this is okay i'm so excited for this i'm so scared stephen king's the dark tower i love those books i absolutely love those books so much i was so bummed at the movie you know it just elbow i'm sorry that wasn't i mean i don't blame him i it just that movie was just it was so weird because it it was like this weird i i kind of take it like a like an alternate world because it didn't really fit with the books like you know i was trying to figure it's like where does how does this line up and it didn't it was just just i i don't even know you know it was, it was like i don't want to say too much i'm gonna spoil anything so apparently mike flanagan is, is said that you know he, he i think he has a pilot written and he's envisioning like five seasons and so th- that i i totally said because when that movie came out you know there's there's seven books plus a novella you you can't do that because movies tend to be three movies unless you're doing a marvel universe or mcu so i would much rather you know five seasons and seven seasons would be better you know do if you i can't even see doing an entire book in one season because some of those books are massive so i feel like it should be like 10 seasons if if they want to do it all but you know there's stuff that can be trimmed down or anything like that so man fingers crossed that that'll be good but as far as the whole netflix thing and you know whether they're being petty and stuff like that he still has another netflix show coming out the fall of the house of usher which is obviously based on edgar Allan poe so He's not done there. It's it's just it's a bummer because that Midnight Club, I I didn't cover it. I wanted to cover it because it's Mike Flanagan, but because Netflix drops all at once, I just I couldn't do it. There's just too much going on. So I started watching it for fun, which is something I don't get to often do. Usually everything I watch is for the show, but because of everything else to watch, I couldn't really watch that much. And I think I'm only I think I'm on the third episode, second or third, and it's not super great. But I am intrigued. I am interested. But now that it's canceled, and apparently ended on a cliffhanger. So do I go back and actually watch it, or just say why bother? So that that's the bummer. And, and then the the last bummer. I mean, the last news is uh, there was a new Super Mario Brothers preview. So it's kind of it was it wasn't really trailers like a clip, and you see Mario in like the Mushroom Kingdom. It looks really good. the 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 visuals look really good, and then you got the music going. It's just it's it's really good. Mario doesn't really talk that much because <laughs> I'm I'm trying like listening, trying to hear how is Chris Pratt doing the Mario, and, and he's you know kind of like avoiding people, you know, other Koopa Tro- not Koopa Troopers, Toads. What are they called? Oh, I can't think of anything. But it it look it looks so slick. But uh, I don't know about Chris Pratt. So we shall have to see. And uh, that's all we're going to see as far as news, because that is the news for the week. All right. With comics. So, again, I didn't read 
very much if it feels like at image there was a, a new number one which i you know I, I like i say i always try to check them out uh all against all so writer alex pacadell dc versus vampires all out war um and artist casper winge guard homesick pilots uh let's see present a primal vision of humanity gone terribly wrong in all against all it is a distant future earth is long gone but a race of alien conquerors known as the operators have preserved its most savage animals in an artificial jungle environment they barely understand with no bodies of their own the operators move from world to world harvesting bodies for the organic exosuits they use to wage their endless war ignored and underestimated by his captors is the habitat's sole human specimen helpless however when their efforts to find and harvest an apex predator intensify he gives them far more than they bargained for so that sounds like it, it could be interesting blood saint teeth number seven came out so that's uh it's a new story arc I, I i didn't read that but i'm enjoying that so i i recommend that uh, american jesus revelation 2 came out i mentioned that um that was the the last issue i felt like i was so confused like i missed something so i i didn't check that out and then there was kaya number three so this is this is a, a really good book so this is wes craig he who as you may may i may have mentioned it i, I really love deadly class that wes craig worked on with rick remender so this is wes craig's book and um I don't even know how to describe it. it. It's just, it's like fantasy, you know, adventure. And it's just, it's, um, I just read, read, get all three issues. If you, if you can, it's, it's, it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. And there was little monsters number eight, which is Jeff Lemire. So again, that's how crazy this week was, has been because, you know, Jeff Lemire and, and Dustin, Wynn, I, I love what they do. I, didn't get a chance to read this so i'm, I'm really bummed about that there's also a noctera special uh um oh val one shot i didn't even know this was coming out so it's tony daniels scott snyder and francis manipole so i think francis manipole does the art uh, on here too special one shot featuring awesome art by francis manipole val reflects on her hard and sometimes merciless past in the wake of the shocking events at the conclusion pedal to the metal but when an unlikely ally reveals a way to find Val's convoy and take them to Eos, Val must go against her every instinct in order to trust this new partner. So I like that they're doing this because, you know, they're taking a little break. So, you know, Tony Daniels can get a break and then, you know, start working on the next story arc. And uh, so let's do a one shot to fill in the time and have, you know, some really cool art by, you know, another awesome artist. So I, d I definitely need to read that. Then uh, <laughs> there's there's some radiant books. There's a radiant pink number one of five, and there is a a radiant. Wait, was there a radiant red? Radiant pink. Oh, maybe radiant red was the trade paperback. Okay, I was thinking that I was like, wait, is there another red, radiant red? Okay, so now I don't feel as bad because there's only ones. But radiant pink is in this, the same universe seven sons the final issue came out and i think that's it from what i read at image oh man so i i just pause it's the strangest thing because <laughs> i don't know why i'm saying this but so i just sneezed 
and you know big sneeze but when i sneeze and then it, it kind of loosens the congestion in my nose which i don't i don't understand what i don't know what's going on all right what else do we have i didn't read anything at boom and i didn't read anything at idw there's nothing i would normally read i still haven't read the the final gi joe issue 300 i think i may have seen a spoiler for something which would make me happy if that was the case but part of me also it's like well i don't know if i want to read that that last one because you know that's the, the final issue and i don't think there's been any word on you know where who else, who's who's got the license if idw no longer has the license then who's going to be putting out j joe books and you know the big question is larry hama going to be involved are they going to continue this and so that that's where it's going to be really interesting because whoever gets the license you know they have the opportunity where they can do whatever they want you know they can start over they can you know or will they try to work out some deal and let's continue the story by continuing the story that kind of you know limits what they may want to do but my recommendation is not that i was gonna ask me i would be like okay whoever is getting the rights try to work out a deal with larry hama continue whatever he may have if he's interested if he wants to continue story then if you, if you don't want to just be tied to that do some other gi joe alternate universe whatever thing you know generation two or generation eight whatever you want to call it where you can do whatever you want and not be tied to that specific you know marvel that started at marvel you know continuity that's my thoughts at dc there was monkey prince number nine so it seemed like there wasn't a, a whole lot at dc which was kind of nice for me so in monkey prince number nine uh, what was uh, so the whole thing about monkey prince in case you haven't been keeping i mean we're in issue nine now so you should check it out pick up the first trade i i, I love the art uh bernard chang and what's interesting about this gene gene lewin um yang does uh the writing but i don't even know how to describe this so monkey prince his parents are like they're scientists but they're like henchmen scientists they they, they work for like different super villains that means that they they move around a lot and you know they were in goth i think they, they yeah they started in gotham then they went to amnesty bay was that the second one because then they're who were they working for in the first arc i don't I'm, i think they're working for penguin and then they're working for black manta and then um now i think i feel like i'm missing something you know that was a the lantern um story arc and and he because uh, so i'm all over the place again i'm sick <laughs> i apologize he's you know monkey prince he's new, newly discovering he has these these uh, abilities and you know he's like he doesn't know what's going on and he's turning into this like monkey prince like a literal monkey and and like his head can fog get knocked off and he's he's always fought batman and, and damian robin he's fought aquaman and like he's like worked uh, fought against it's like the typical fight against and then work together he's fought against aquaman and with aquaman and then in metropolis they're they're working for lex Corps. 
and something else is going on. And uh, I'll just say, man, um, things don't go too well for his parents. I mean, it's it's a dangerous profession. We get to meet uh, Monkey Prince's grandfather, and um, oh, and it, and Supergirl's involved. So he ends up kind of having running with Supergirl, which some of it, the way it was handled, was was a little a, a bit much. But it it was it was great seeing Supergirl because I, I feel like we haven't really seen her. I mean, I, the the Tom Taylor, Tom King, <laughs> the Tom King uh, story. I I almost feel like that was out of continuity. Maybe it was in continuity. I don't even know. But just seeing Bernard draw Supergirl in you know, costumes tweaked a little bit, you know, and and she's wearing pants instead of a skirt, which you know it's it's cool to see. And uh, what the the revelation in this, I'm like, holy holy cow. And um, I don't want to spoil anything. I mean, maybe it'll be on the cover. I don't know what the cover for number 10 is. But it has something to do with a character a character that we've seen in another form of media recently. I'll just say that. Uh, Dark Crisis Warzone. Did I? F- yeah, I finished this. So this, I'm not, not digging this Dark Crisis story arc, but... This this book kind of feels like it's like all over the place because uh, w- like where exactly does it fit together? You know, we have the big fight going on outside the the Hall of Justice, and we we get a lot of like uh, viewpoints from the people. You know, they're talking about this like, oh, this was really cool and this and that and whatever. And then you know, there's some fighting going on. It also picks up from actually, well, this first story arc. It we we see so Linda Park. You know, she finally she discovers she has power she has speed powers and so she's helping out and everything like that and then she kind of runs into uh iris and one of the things that bugs me so you know iris is um helping out you know there's just some kids and stuff like that and so she's putting herself at risk because you know she's a good person and all that and then Linda comes, you know, she's got her new costume on and everything. And she has like, you know, goggle mask or whatever. And then she sees Iris. She's like, Iris. And then right away, Iris is like, Linda. So maybe it was the voice. But, you know, this is in the middle of a fight. There's a lot of chaos going on. There's got to be a lot of noise. But she immediately recognizes that it's Linda Park. And, you know, she's in her costume. We're supposed to have the suspension of disbelief that, you know, when they have a mask on, even if it's Nightwing's little mask, you can't see, you can't tell who they are. But she figures it out right away, which is just whatever. So we, we get this sort of team up. So even though Iris doesn't have powers, you know, she's still helping out and stuff like that. Then they, they go inside the Hall of Justice, like, oh, let's go into the armory, the, the whatever, trophy room, and they get some, like, weapons and stuff. And, and then they come out with the kids, and the kids are wearing, like, batman armor helmets it's just like it's like no it's like that it's 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 not even cute it's it's just cringy so they, they do their part whatever and so it's just uh i don't know just i i didn't dig it i, I get what they were trying to go for but it was it was almost as a little too cutesy for me i don't i mean i do like the idea of seeing iris and linda together but it just it, it felt like it, it was a little forced uh, i don't know then uh there's a story arc i didn't read this the second one i kind of skimmed over it because we have like um was it is that jim hardigan uh with specter and some of the others and then uh there is 
Okay, this was a okay. This was like a forty-page comic. Then we have a Themyscira story arc with a bunch of Amazons. I I kind of skimmed over that, and then wait, there's a Green Lantern one too. So the art was 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 weird. Not really weird that came out wrong, but I didn't really dig it so much. And then the last one is continuing from Dark Crisis, Dark Army. So that was the one where we meet Red Canary and we see Damien who manages to go from looking like a little, like, you know, 12, 13 year old kid to like a 17, 18 year old. And here he looks like an adult again. It's like, what is going on? And they get like separated or whatever. And then Red Canary ends up um, meeting Black Black Canary's back. So, you know, there was it was oh, that felt a little forced as well because you know black canaries are big hero and all the stuff like that and then i i don't know and maybe maybe that's the problem is we don't know red canary's full background it's like she doesn't have any powers and and she's going toe-to-toe with like literal like super villains and even if she just like took some you know self-defense classes and stuff like that it's, it just feels too much so unless there's like some hidden history or story that we don't know like she was trained or you know i don't know i mean unless it's like like a kate bishop situation where she's been training her whole life and then you know she just decided to you know she gravitated towards black canary and wanted to be a hero and you know whatever i i don't know um then there's a joker uh the man who stopped laughing so this is matthew rosenberg and it's I'm not. I, I have no idea what's going on, and or like what where this is going because we have the Joker and we have like all these other Jokers. So it's almost like at, at first I was like, is this sort of like you know the three Jokers, you know whatever? But it's not. There's someone's doing something and kind of infecting other with like Joker DNA and, and morphing them. But it's it's just like really kind of affecting them and. And then, yeah, so Batman's kind of working with Joker, which is weird. Wait, is that in this one? This is very... Am I getting mixed up now with with the Mark Silvestri? Um, I, I don't think... Because yeah, we had... Was it... Maybe I'm getting mixed up. Yeah, so there's Joker. Because we had this guy... He, this Joker. And he, like, he dies, but he gets shot. He's shot in the head, but he's still alive. So I'm not really sure how how that's going, and then, he, yeah. So I'm kind of thinking of Batman and the Joker, the Deadly Duo too. So that's where we're getting multiple Jokers as well, <laughs> and and so Batman is kind of working with Joker, and there's like this Joker DNA is being used and mixed, and it's uh it's crazy, like has crazy properties to it. And uh, the art is just just amazing. So you should be reading that. Um, I did not get a chance to read Poison Ivy 7, which I, I'm curious about that because I... Uh, or did I read? No, I, I started reading it. I only got a couple pages into it. Uh, I'm, I'm curious with this new story arc, like where it's going to go. And then uh, there's Batman... Or Gears Gotham City Year 1, Issue 3. I didn't read that. Uh, and then Batman one. 30 so this was um with failsafe so basically you know failsafe has 
is this has decided to take out Batman and anyone who's tried to stop him. So this is an unstoppable thing. And it, it ended last issue ended with Batman going up to the watchtower to kind of, you know, buy some time. Failsafe goes up after him and they're fighting everything like that. And Batman gets blown up into space. So it's like, how is he going to survive? You know, he has a suit, but that, that's only going to do him good for so long. And then he starts falling towards earth. It's like, wait, how is Batman going to go from space, you know, by the moon to earth with, and um, he's Batman. So it's a uh, definitely worth checking out. Then there's also a uh, Batman Zur and R like year one type of type of story and has just the art and the color. Uh, Leonardo Romero, Romero does art and Jordy Beller does color. Oh my goodness. It's, it's just amazing. I, I love his art. And he's he's been doing a lot of covers at Marvel, which concerns me. You know, and he's doing a lot of covers for like Mar- Marvel Masterworks, which is is interesting. It's weird because I don't know I don't I don't know if they're like new printings or new um volumes. But I, I feel like his his art needs to be seen by everyone. I want him to do interiors. I don't want him to become a cover artist. I know being a cover artist is a good thing for artists. But I like just seeing his his art here is just I, I I love it. So that was DC at Marvel. So again, I didn't read everything. There is Avengers sixty three. With with this, I I am just not into this this story arc. So I just kind of skimmed through it, and it appears that the Avengers and Avengers one million BC are kind of working together against uh, multiverse masters of evil but i'm just it's just it's it's not working for me captain america sentinel of liberty issue seven so batman is or batman what did i say captain america sentinel of liberty i didn't say batman right captain america is uh you know find out some some history behind the shield and you know there's this organization this group that the outer circle who claimed that their symbol is the symbol of the shield. And now it appears that they may have had something to do with the creation of the shield. Cause the dude that made it, he, it was supposed to be an accident. He fell asleep. And then when he woke up, he's like, Oh, the, there's a shield is made with these hidden property. I don't know the exact combination. Cause I, I fell asleep, but it, it, it could be that while he was sleeping, this group, did some little shenanigans or whatever. And then I guess when he discovered this, so that's why he put the symbol on the shield to kind of be like a, you know, like a reminder. There's also what we saw a couple issues ago. There was like a, a message that would play sort of like a record, like on the shield. It wasn't exactly like the same, you know, it's not like a vinyl record, but there's some of that. And then Bucky has kind of, infiltrated the group like joined it so it's like he's he actually shot captain america and you know he's like don't stop me steve whatever and so yeah things are crazy and then steve starts uh working with some others like sharing information about this group and you know making plans to oppose them and uh so i won't mention who he's working with but there's some interesting um people there so now you know he's he's getting some backup and one of the things was um was, was i kind of like i think because hawkeye was there and you know he's like wait is this an avengers thing because you know i'm with the thunderbolts now and you know this could be a conflict of interest or whatever because you know he's he's working for the thunderbolts so he can't be 
working with Avengers too, because he's supposed to be, you know, whatever uh, exclusive to Thunderbolts, maybe whatever his, his contract is. And then someone's like, like, no, look at his face. That's not his Avengers face. So it's kind of like, you know, he's taking this like maybe a little more serious when he's not an Avenger. I don't know. So I, I kind of like that. And Captain Marvel 44, what had happened, I think it was last issue, Carol gets like a, a message from Rogue and it's like a distress signal and she's out in space. And she's like, wait, why is she calling me? You know, we're, we're not like the best friends or anything like that. There used to be a lot of tension. And so Carol and some of her friends like uh, Hazmat and, and Spider-Woman, they join forces with the X-Men. They fly out and, and then it turns out the Brood are involved. Which is weird because the brood are supposed to be good now because of brew, but there's there's definitely something going on. Damage Patrol, <laughs> Damage Control number five came out. I did not even no, no I'm not even gonna look at this. So let me just let's just hear what this is about. So again, we got this guy who gets a job at Damage Control through a friend. And they're like, okay, where can we put you? What department? And he's working all these different departments and he's causing like colossal blunders. And then they're like, okay, you almost like blew up the universe. Let's put you, let's take you out of the mail room and put you over here, which is, it's supposed to be comedy, I guess. So this is it. This is Gus's absolute last, last chance to find a place to fit in at damage control, which is ridiculous unfortunately the only remaining department that will have him is the deep storage vault where he is tasked with cataloging the contents of all the endless rows of crates and containers seems like he sh it should be a fairly low risk however this is gus we're talking about and before the day is over there will be a massive moraz of mechanical mayhem perpetrated by machine man jacosta century 459 test one and the sentinels glory and Sentinel's glare. Uh, Hans Rodanoff and Adam F. Goldberg continue to churn out hilarious word combinations, and Nathan Stockman serves up his visual punch. I mean, the art is good. His visual punchlines will delight, entertain you as we conclude Gus's epic venture through damage control. <laughs> oh my goodness! Daredevil issue six. So, man, this this series, you know, this this guy um chip sardarsky he's doing some crazy things it's 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 so i'm I just as i was reading this i'm like oh my gosh this is like such a departure of daredevil but it's just it feels so right so he you know he's he's teamed up with electra and they're fighting you know they're preparing for this huge battle against the hand and he you know with marco chichetto's art oh geez but it's also the just a visual so you know normal you know marco okay i just noticed that the recording kind of paused for a bit so my computer's i don't know if i just need to restart it if i i'm trying to think the last time but hopefully i didn't lose any anything because I, I it has happened i think last week there was one point where there was like a little glitch and I debate, it's like, well, I could try to, I didn't trim it all. Anyways, so hopefully I didn't lose anything. Talking about Daredevil. <laughs> and hopefully you didn't miss everything. I had to, all the stuff I had, the great things I had to say about damage control. If you didn't hear any, any like high praise, it must have gotten cut out, right? So Daredevil, it's it's just seeing Daredevil with like a big beard. It's just like so weird. Because, you know, we, we've seen like scruffy Daredevil like pretty much all the time. But this is like a huge, huge beard. But they broke out a bunch of villains 
and the ideas are trying to uh, redeem them, trying to get them to join their their side because you know they're going up against the hand, and the hand is being sort of led by the Punisher, kinda, which is just like weird stuff. And uh, there's just a, a lot of good like philosophy and stuff like that. But then Electra, meanwhile, is on her own mission because part of the, the the problem is the hand has been. They, I don't know. I think they've been killing like political leaders and then inhabiting, using them as like through like as puppets. So she goes to the president. This I think to to see like is the president real or not or whatever being used, and then Iron Man shows up, which is, you know, I I, I love Iron Man, but just his arrogance. And I know that's part of who he is, but sometimes it's just way too much and. We saw, I think it was last issue, where the Avengers are like, we have to go after Daredevil because he must be stopped. And it's like, so you have a guy who you know is a hero and he's doing the right thing. So yeah, okay, maybe he broke out some villains at the secure, inhumane prison, which like, where are their rights that they're being kept there? And, you know, maybe they, you know, did they throw the rights away? Whatever. But it's like, oh, there's, you're going to go against someone who is a hero and maybe doing some questionable things, even though there's so many villains out there that you could be targeting instead, but let's go after hero because maybe it's easier, safer, but Iron Man shows up and then, you know, he sees Elektra like standing over the president and he shoots like an arm laser blast through the window, like damages, like blows up the window practically. It's like, seriously, dude. And so <laughs> Electra's not alone, and they they do some something that was kind of kind of funny to Iron Man. Well, that wasn't really funny, but it was just like, okay, sucka, what do you think about that? And uh, so I'm gonna spoil just one little thing. So she, you know, she's like Prince with the president. She's like, you know, is it really you or who are whatever like that? And then they said they said something that then they just kind of like dropped themselves out the window. And then they like fall and land in a car. She goes out there just to you know try to get some answers before you know the this thing president person whatever whoever is controlling it dies. And then the president like decomposes, turns to ash, and you see someone with their cell phone recording it. And then she's on the news like assassin. She killed the president. It's like did you not just see? I mean, where, where you say oh she must have sprinkled some magic dust to turn him into ash. It's. I, I just I don't like when they and, and again this is the only complaint that I have against this this issue and this amazing art writer but it's like come on it's just it's it's just it's too much to kind of you know, cause like the conflict but whatever dark web um issue one oh, man oh my gosh I this this book makes me angry uh, you know I know damage control. <laughs> It kind of makes me mad because it's just not what I want or what I think it should be. And the humor, I don't find hilarious or funny at all. But Dark Web. Uh, so it, we got Zeb Wells here. I, I really uh, admire Zeb Wells. Right, I love his writing. You know, he, He's done so many cool stories and just interesting things and all that. But... Oh my goodness, what? And I I don't think the blame all f- falls on him. What the heck is, why? Why is Ben Riley evil? It just, it does not make any sense. So after the 
kerfluffle of the beyond the spider-man whatever where he he's becomes that whole thing just went like off the rails like towards the end of that so ben lost some of his memories and it's like he's blaming peter parker so you know he he wants to know who he is and his memories and and if he knows that he's a clone but he and he's you know so he's lost some of his memories but he also knows that he's lost some of peter's memories and so he wants those back he feels he deserves those even though they're technically not his but i get that that does make him who he is and to make things worse he's teaming up with madeline Pryor, and the the bad part is so madeline Pryor was recently resurrected in the x-men there's a whole thing with the krakoa and bringing dead mutants back you know with a new body and putting their their mind somehow in there and that that's it's really them and not like a copy but you know it was questionable because obviously she did did some bad things but you know was she really to blame for that or not you know it was there's so many things that you know came up so they they bring her back and she was in like a story arc with in new mutants and you know they were in limbo and she's working with magic helping out and everything like that so then magic's finally like okay madeline you know you you want a second chance you know we're i'm gonna help you out and i'm gonna give you control you can rule limbo because i i have my hands full you know i'm, I'm running i'm leading the new mutants i'm working at the the strange academy and you know just just doing too much and with the way madeline helped magic and her battles and limbo and everything like that you know trying to regain control against um what's his his name sim that doesn't sound right that that one big dude in in limbo that's always giving elian a hard time so madeline gets control because you know she was a hero she helped out and everything like that but then now all of a sudden <laughs> all that is like nope she's actually so bad and it's just i just I, I can't stand it and i just i just yeah fantastic four issue two this was a fine story i just because so where i'm a little confused is i don't know like is this there we have no i don't know if this is regular yet so i believe this is regular fantastic four yeah because it has a legacy number under so dan slats run ended and they're like okay we're gonna do new new fantastic four ryan north is writing but what's weird, one, something happened at the Baxter building and with the team. We don't know what. Because the first issue was dealing with Ben and Alicia. They're on this road trip. It's like, where are the kids? You know, what, what's what I don't understand. And they have this little adventure in this town that was like stuck in this time loop or whatever. And the story, it was a self-contained story. So it, whatever, it's cool and everything like that. But it's like, how does that fit? Is it going to have any lasting impact? I mean, and there are some weird things that, you know, how they're calling, uh, I don't know if, if Ben called Alicia babe or she called him babe. It was just, seemed kind of weird, but whatever. So we have that. It's And, and then at the end, it's like, it, it hints at something happened at the Baxter building and and with Reed, there's, there's some drama. This issue is just Reed and Sue. They find themselves in like a weird, bizarre situation, kind of like how Ben and Alicia did. So it's a, it's a self-contained story. 
we don't get any of these other lingering, mysterious, you know, subplots addressed. But while it's it's cool to, to see the two on their own adventure, it, it doesn't really feel like it's moving the characters or the, the team forward that much. And, and not all stories need to be big, crazy, impactful things, but I just feel like, you know, there's, it's, it just, it didn't really do much. And I, I, I don't know. And one thing that bothers me is so they're at a diner or something like that. And reads like, like, Oh, this sloppy Joseph doesn't seem like fully nutritional, whatever. It's like, does read like one of the smartest guys in Marvel universe. He doesn't know that it's actually called sloppy Joe. He thinks it's a sloppy Joseph and he's never had one before. And he's questioning the nutritional, why the, because you know, Sue's like, well, that's what the close coleslaw is for, but it's like it's not meant to be <laughs> nutritional. It's it's a a fun meal, but whatever. There is Ghost Rider issue nine. I haven't been reading that more. So okay, I pass over Immortal X Men. I'm on the fence with this series. Uh, you know, I haven't. I don't know if I've been reading all of it, but I I didn't get a chance to read this. Let's see. Vote die repeat. Putting the meat in the office meeting. Uh, trust me, bad spelling is the least of the Quiet Council's problem as everything hits the fan. Okay, so I didn't read that. <laughs> that that was a synopsis. Then there was Marauders issue nine, which I've been like on the fence with this one as well. So I haven't I don't think I've read the last couple. I've been kind of skimming through, but I didn't get a chance to look at this one. I did read Miles Morales Spider-Man issue one. And I haven't been super crazy about the Miles Morales series, you know, lately. And even with like the two clones and, you know, they were okay. But uh, then going through time to, to, <laughs> to look <laughs> for his uncle Aaron, who somehow got lost in time. The reason I'm laughing was that, so basically Miles is like kind of going through the multiverse and going through a bunch of like what if worlds. And he, he gets to that one world where the, the, there's like it's with the x-men and what i forget genki's last name he but he's like my name is genki lee but you can call me professor x and it's just like it made no sense there's no not a single like letter close to x in his name and he's like call me professor x but anyways um this this was a this was a good i mean i can't say it like blew me away it's it's definitely set on track and he's back to his like his real costume, not that the bright pink weird jacket thing that a lot of people a lot of people seem to really like that. I just don't think it's practical. I don't think with how often they damage their costumes that he wants something big, fluffy and flowing that's just gonna get, you know, trash left left and right. So having something sleeker just seems like it makes more sense, and it's just his it's his classic you know look. It just it that's the like black and red. That's how I I think Miles should be. So um, yeah, there's there's uh, some some good stuff here. There's also some stuff that's a little little ridiculous, like stuff going on at the school and him being late and the teacher or whatever, and and his teacher just it, it it bugs me the way the teacher handles his you know, power trip type of thing, you know, being a teacher, is just like, you don't do that, whatever. And, and the fact that, you know, so he ends up getting suspended for something and his parents, like they're, they're, they're fully aware why he's late. 
you know, they they know he he was fighting Scorpion. Come on. And you know, so I would think the parents would be like on the phone, like, hey dude, like what's what's your problem with our kid? But maybe it's because he's going to you know this, this academy he he got in through a lottery and you know maybe they don't rock, want to rock the boat but then the other thing um that's i don't know where this came from there's this new organization like a like a, a police force thing and not not really police force but they're dealing with like super powered things and it's not the thunderbolts i thought the thunderbolts were control everything but they're kind of like hassling uh miles about you know, like, oh, you just, I, you, I'm about to arrest you if you don't watch it because, you know, you cause a lot of destruction. You should just let Scorpion rob the bank because that money is insured. And and they're like, but you did save one person. So, you know, we'll let you go this time. And it's just, so we, I mean, we just had Cradle, which was just ridiculous. You know, this whole anti-vigilante. It's like, we don't need to keep coming back to that, you know, civil war. It's like, like, no, we've, we've done that so many times. All right, then. We had Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number one. I wanted to read this because I I just I I do kind of like like uh, Luna. I, I think she's 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 I don't necessarily want to say adorable, but you know I I do like her spunk. I don't know. Uh, so this is a new issue, and I'm not really sure. Like, is this like back in continuity or is it just whatever? Being a preteen superhero when your parents finally know about it is even harder. It's like, well, did they find out in that last recent story arc? I don't remember that. Because I thought they knew, and then it seemed like they didn't know. Good thing Lunella Lafayette, a.k.a. Moon Girl, and human super genius has a plan to keep heroing to provide herself with the perfect alibi. She organized a roller derby team of other inhuman kids. It's just supposed to be an excuse to get out of the apartment with all her superhero, superhero gear in tow, but it turns out to be kind of fun but nothing is simple when you're a superhero and one of the kids on a team might just be more sinister than they appear so that that sounds like it, it could be fun but i didn't read that um there's also new mutants 32 i, I didn't get a chance to read this the human i don't don't like the human the human have the new mutants in their clutches the human a fanatical organization of humans hell-bent on becoming the physically superior species by stealing mutants' powers have captured Escapade and a new mutants. Now imprisoned on their base, Shella must use her burgeoning yet unpredictable powers to help her new friends escape. But Cerebella has a traumatic history with the human, and it'll take more than a power swap to free her from that legacy. Uh, I don't know about that. But maybe I'll have to try to check that out. The Predator issue five. I I, I kind of like this series. I, I know I didn't read the last issue, but I, I'm I'm kind of curious with that. Punisher number eight um, is just weird. I, I do want to read this. I did get a chance to read this. Frank Castle wants to end his war once and for all, but the God of War has other ideas, and now Ares is coming for the Punisher with an armor with an army of heavily armed apostles at his back looking to turn Frank back into his old self by murdering his family all over again. There's been some things about like the way Frank's past has been like described, which I don't know how I feel about that. Cause it, it's kind of made him seem it's almost like he wasn't invested in his family, but that was like the whole main thing that, you know, he cared about his family so much and seeing them killed 
pushed him over the edge to become the Punisher. Now it almost feels like that was like a hap, not really happy, but that was like a, a good excuse for him to become the Punisher because that's all he wanted to do from his days in the army. But I don't know. Um, Secret Invasion number two. I'm enjoying this. Uh, you know, it's mainly Maria Hill. There's more sc- uh, scrolls, which is not a good thing. So Ryan North is is, is writing this, and uh, they discover that the scrolls are back. They're up to their, their shenanigans. So it's back to like, okay, who is a scroll and who's not? Reed Richards had made you know a scroll detector since you know Secret Invasion, so it wasn't really a problem. Turns out it's not quite working. They they figured out some way. They either adapted or evolved, or somehow they, they figured a way around that. So that's that's causing some problems. So they have to figure out a new way to detect and figure out you know who's a, who's a scroll and who's you know or who's really themselves and and all that. And then we do find out there was someone who was a scroll. So I'm just going to tease that, make you want to go read it because you should. Uh, Spider Man issue three. I I'm not digging this. Uh, end of the Spider Verse saga. I I don't. I mean, I love, you know, I I, I love the Dan Slott's writing Spider Man again because you know he's done such a good job, and I love Mark Bagley's art, but I don't like all these different characters. I feel like it's just too much, and I feel like sometimes Marvel's like, let's just try to create all these alternate weird versions of Spider Man to see like what sticks and what doesn't, because you know they had success with with Spider Gwen, and you know. It's, Spider Man Noir doesn't really count because that was a, a thing before. And then, uh, you know, Spider Punk, did he come out of the Spider Verse stuff? You know, he's gained some popularity. So I feel like they're almost like, let's try to create as many other random characters as we can. And maybe they're encouraging, you know, the writers, uh, hey, you got an idea? Let's, let's try to see what we can do. And, you know, is it going to catch on or not? And then you got the story. So I just I just feel like it's too much of that. Uh, Star Wars Hidden Empire. So this is... Uh, I think I did read this, right? Okay, I don't think I read this. The plans of Lady Quira to use an ancient dark side weapon known as the Fermata Cage to destroy the Sith are falling apart. And she has lost many of her primary resources and allies, with Darth Vader drawing ever nearer. Can she salvage victory from certain defeat? I thought I read that because, uh, you know, I wanted to keep up with that, but I didn't. There's also Thanos Death Notes. So this is written by Christopher Cantwell. Um, spinning out of Donny Cates and Nick Klein's Thor comes an all-new Thanos one-shot, featuring art by Andrea DeVito and Travel Foreman, as well as Ron Lim's Return to the Mad Titan. Thanos is missing, presumed dead, but Thor has seen a vision of, of his return. <laughs> okay, Thor. And it's enough to make even a god fear. To prepare himself, to prepare the universe, Thor desperately searches for answers in Thanos' past and finds a glimpse at a Marvel Universe's dark future. It's, it sounds, I guess I'm, I'm intrigued, but I, I didn't get a chance to read that. And then there's Thor 29, which I did not read. Um, uh, the Legacy of Thanos, Part 1. Wait, so which one do you read first? Maybe uh, Nick Klein returns with guest writer Torun Gronbeck for a Valkyrie-filled adventure when a universally loathed foe escapes Thor's baby sister, Lausa, 
or kidnaps, did I say kidnap? Kidnaps Thor's baby sister, Lausa, and drags her so deep beyond hell that not even Sif's all sight can see her. The God of Thunder must call upon one ally who has traveled so far into the unknown before, Runa. But what dark secrets of Asgard's bloody past lay beneath the frozen waters? I don't know about that. What does that have to do with Thanos? Who knows? Um, the Variants, Issue 5. So I really enjoyed the series. I mean, so Gail Simone did the writing. You know, she's she's great. Uh, Phil Noto's art is amazing. And basically, we have Jessica Jones and all these different variants. And, you know, they're, she's trying to fight, them. you know, she's trying to protect her family and trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, things get a little messy. It is kind of cool seeing different versions of it. And now I know I kind of knocked the like the what if all of, and all of the different Spider Man stuff, but this was kind of neat to see different versions of Jennifer, of Jennifer, of Jessica Jones. <laughs> and it just, the, the whole story just, I, I just enjoyed the whole execution of it. So you should definitely check that out. Um, there was X Force 35. Uh, I did not read Beast. Off the, I I just can't stand Beast stuff. I think he's like he's such a jerk. It's just all the the evil stuff that he's doing. Beast off the book plans go belly up when Sever Blackmore stages a space prison break that even Maverick and the Mercs can't keep it in hand. I think I said that wrong. A major turning point for X Force as a team and breaking point for more than one key X character. I don't know. There's X-Men Red. Abigail Brand enters her endgame, uh, and on Araco, the diplomatic zone is beset by a far firestorm of violence, and the world farm cable is learning the secrets behind it all. But the biggest secret has yet to be revealed. It's Roberto da Costa's turn to play, and you won't see it coming. I just I, I'm starting to feel like there's just way too many X-Men books and it is nice that they, they kind of have different vibes going on, but I just some of them I, I'm not like super crazy about. Then there was Extreme X-Men. So this is like a callback, like going back to you know, Christopher or Christopher, Chris Claremont and Salvador La Roca. So that this takes place after, uh, see, so does it say? Okay, so they return for an all new story set just after the groundbreaking original run of Extreme X-Men. A powerful psychic attack on Kitty Pride from her old enemy Ogun brings a extreme team back together for a high stakes mission. But what secrets is Ogun hiding? And will even the combined might of Bishop, Sage, Gambit, Rogue, and Rachel Summers, Storm, and Wolverine be enough to stop his insidious plan? That's a lot of X-Men. If they can't stop it, then no one can. The excitement starts here with this kickoff to the arc that will have wide-reaching implications for some of your favorite x characters so that it that intrigues me that they're they're, they're claiming that there's going to be some implications that there's that this is just like a a fun story that's not gonna you know quote unquote matter so we'll have to see i i didn't get a chance to read that but that is going to be comics for the week okay so now peripheral Season 1, Episode 8, The Creation of a Thousand Forests. I do not know how I'm going to make it through the rest of this podcast. Uh, it starts off, so this is the final episode. It starts off, Flynn's at the Walter Reed Medical Center. She's sitting by Connor's bed. It's 2028. 
So this is before, like right after he was injured and everything. Um, you know, he says that he's been thinking about Flynn and her Sims, you know, how she can go back, reboot, you know, wishing he could go back to that level with the dog, shoot it this time. That's the thing about chess. He, you know, he's talking about the different games, whatever. Like, it's with chess, it's like checkmate and you're fudging done. He's like, that's what makes life so hard that there's, you know, no rebooting. So then it goes back to the present. Tommy's walking out of the Corbell's house. So it's raining now. He puts a gun back in the evidence bag and then he thinks about the fact that he just shot the sheriff but he didn't shoot the deputy right because he's a deputy uh, he calls for backup he's like three parties down suspects at large presumed arm examiners arrive you know they take a picture of everything body bag and and then he goes behind his truck and he he, I, he must have noticed at some point there's like blood on his boots so he's like wiping it this other guy um, comes up and he's like, he's like, they got a pulse. And he's like, on who? And they're like, Corbell. So this is kind of a prompt. If Corbell survives, he knows that Tommy was involved in all this. But then uh, they also, some other officers, they got a call about shots fired at Urgent Med. So one's like, oh, it's got to be our perp. But Tommy, his fiance, you know, Didi's there. So of course he's going to go. So he drives over. He sees an ambulance. He gets out. He sees uh, Flynn and Ella, uh, her uh, Flynn's mom. Then he sees Dee Dee. So she comes up to him and hugs him, and she tells him that Reese is dead. And she says that she heard that he killed the sheriff and the pickets. Um, the 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 Reese whatever or not Reese it, the not you know what I'm saying. He tells her that Corbell is still hanging on, and she asks, but he killed Sheriff Jackman, and. Then, he paused. He's like, yeah, he did. Like, shot him dead. So, you know, Tommy's, he's got, he's got to figure this out. In the future, Lobier says that uh, if Dr. Newland, so Cherise, if she has her way, she's like, your friend won't be the last. So I assume you'd like to stop her. And Flynn's like, yeah, of course. So she's there with Burton and Connor and their, their peripherals. Lobier says that she'd like to propose an alliance. She has resources that could be empowering to them in their world. So Flynn can act in ways that she can't. She has uh, much more than than uh, Sharice Newland to deal with. So her world's on the threshold of its own jackpot. So she believes that she can help her navigate the coming storm. If they're going to form an alliance, then now would be the time for her to issue any ultimatums or demands that she might have. So Flynn's like, my mom is blind again and sick. You know, so she needs Lobier to heal her. You know, like she promised that she would do at the start of the whole thing. Lobier is kind of silent, and Flynn's like, ma'am. And then Beatrice says, she's consulting the aunties. So she's like talking to them, whatever. Then Lobier comes back. She's like, I'm very sorry, but it appears that Mr. Zuloff's technicals have already attempted everything possible. And she's like, what? She's like, you can't help her? So Lobier shakes her head, and she says that the, the auntie's best estimate is that her mother has another 554 hours to live, so approximately 23 days. So Flynn, she just like, she takes off. She signs out of her peripheral. So, and then Will feels bad because, you know, he told her that they were going to cure her when, you know, they were recruiting her to get her to, to start this whole mess. And then Burton's like, I'll go talk to her. So then in the present, Flynn's like shaking her head. She's got tears. She's like, they promised, you know, they promised us. And then she gets up and leaves and Burton like follows her. Then outside, she starts like crying in his arms. So it's, it's I, I like that they do these little things like this because you, you, they're brother and sister. They care about each other. They bicker and, and everything like that. So it was a, like a nice touching moment. 
So Mama's talking to Flynn. She says, you know, she's sitting out on, on the porch. She's like, I know you're sad. She's like, I've had this, you know, a bad feeling when I first found out about the Galoma, you know, concerning Flynn. She said that, you know, she was lying there in that exam room and she's thinking about it all. And she figured that, you know, maybe it's not all bad. You know, maybe Flynn will really get to live her life now. And Flynn shakes her head. She's like, I've been living my life exactly the way I want to. Okay. But Mama says that she's like, yeah, I know. But, you know, Flynn's been keeping them all afloat for a long time. And she says that, you know, she deserves more. She thought that maybe, you know, they can sell the house if they want. There'll be some money there. You know, Burton will go on being Burton, but who knows what Flynn might get up to. And that made her sort of excited to think about, her, you know, Flynn having a chance to become whatever she wants. And then Flynn gets up and, you know, she says that she's going to let, you know, Mama rest. And Mama's like, she's like, you know how Daddy called you, you know, our, you know, our little acorn? She's like, you were small, but you had the power to grow inside you. So then we see Charisse in, in the future sitting at a park bench next to Ash. So it's like, what? So she asks, how on earth did she end up in Lev Zuboff's employee? And then Ash is like, it's a complicated story, but it's not relevant. And, you know, what is relevant is a data that Alita West stole. And Ash says that she knows where it is and how to get it. So it's in Flynn Fisher's brain. So Lev knows this. So that means the Klept will soon have everything that Alita stole. Charisse actually looks concerned, which is, you know, she's usually like, oh, thinks she knows everything about everything. But Ash says that, you know, she doesn't want to live in that world. So Charisse starts mentioning Inspector Lobier, but Ash cuts her off saying that she clearly has her own agenda. So they can't depend on her to fix it. And she tells Charisse that she has to stop him. You know, can she? And she exhales and she's like, yeah, I can, but it will require a drastic step, you know, more drastic than I had hoped it would be necessary to come at. And, and, It'll come at an unspeakable cost. So she's like, how much time you know, do, do we have? And Ash is like, very little. So Shree says that she assumes Ash will want a reward for this, you know, this information. Ash says that, you know, she wants her to kill him. And she's like, who? And she's like, Zubov. And Shree's like, may I ask why? So she thinks back to like love with a knife, you know, when he cut uh, Ossian's face and all that. And she's like, a breach of etiquette. And Charisse is like, well, you know, it's it's not so easy given his club status unless, you know, she'd be willing to use her presence in a Zubov household to assist. And Ash is like, I would with pleasure. And she's like, excellent. So then Ash asks, he's like, well, what's your drastic step? And Charisse says that, you know, she's afraid that she'll be forced to alter conditions in the stub in a manner that will destroy or invalidate decades worth of studies, you know, vitally important research. But, you know, she'll cut off a limb to save the whole body. And she's like, she says the jackpot. She's like, I'll push it to the next level. thus removing the girl from the equation altogether. So along with her hometown, with her, her home, her town, her family, you know, the whole, um, whole region. And so she gets up and leaves. So it's just so weird how you, it's like the stub, they've created the stub. You know, we, we saw that she did this before the present, you know, back when Burton and Connor and them were, you know, in, in the, their their war, the war of Texas or whatever it was. But because it causes divergence, it's like it's not their past. But and it's like they're just playing God with this. It's just it's it's kind of mind boggling. I don't know. So Flynn arrives in a peripheral. It was sitting next to Wilf by the Thames. Um, and he asks, how, how's her mother? And she's like dying. And I, I think it's like what's what's neat is because you see like the the tower bridge in the background and it's like I was I was there, 
Oh, so anyways, so he says that he's sorry. You know, he presented a possibility as a certainty to get her to do their bidding. He's like, it, it was wrong. Then after pause, she's like, if he, she asks if he thinks he can find his sister and he's like, she's dead. He's like, I can't see any way around it. And she like takes his hand and she's like, sorry. You know, she says she's sorry. Then he says that he feels like he's missing something obvious, but it's just too close to see it. So Lita said that he had a home when he was young and he used to, that he used to talk about. We see a flashback of him as an infant in a crib with a parent looking over him. Then he, he says that he had a lawn sloping down to a pond. He, but he says his first memories are of the transit camps, the, the food queues, you know, and rain falling on blue tarp, you know, a woman's face, you know, which he's chosen to, to believe was his mother. He knows it's unlikely that, that that's just fantasy. And she's like, well, what about your father? And Wolf's like, they took all the men early on, and I have no memories of the raids on the camps. But Alita told him how they burned them out, that, you know, she took charge of him and he would have died without her. After that, they went to the streets and ruins for like almost three years. Then he did something stupid. And we get to see that flashback to when he got captured by like the hazmat dudes, whatever. And so they were cleaned up. Alita fought to keep them together. They ran off a few years after being adopted. You know, she wanted to be free. You know, she planned it, got supplies, mapped out their route and everything. They lasted eight months or so in their own kingdom. And he's like, you know, we even, she even made a flag. You know, there's a, a hand missing a thumb. And she says that they all lived in a paradise before before they evolved into who they, they are. She claimed that every sin of theirs originated with the opposable thumb. So the, the ability to grip tools, weapons, throats. But then after eight months, he got sick and he would have died. Alita brought him back in. So she gave up everything once again to save him. Then he says that he's not sure what to say about Lobier's proposal. You know, one must assume that she can always hear them, you know, should she choose. So Flynn asks, she's like, well, she's she asks if there's something that he wants to tell her, but he feels like he can't. And he says it's more of a, a shading than a specific things. So she's like, well, why don't we link up again? He's like, why? Because she says that she could ask questions and he wouldn't have to answer. You know, she could draw her own conclusions based on how he feels. So when they're linked up, you know, you can, you know, sense that. So it's it's weird that she would think about that that he wouldn't think about or whatever so they link up she asks how does he feel about low beer and then there's a flashback to her saying that she wants to propose an alliance and then she asks lev um you know fast flashback to lev's saying you will n never be fully yourself until you embrace that part of your soul and then flynn's like alita so that's the, the part where he sees her in the street and then her on the bus when they're a kid saying you know, the individual, you know, and this overture, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's, it's going to make me happy. Is it? Um, then Flynn says, Flynn Fisher. And we see him wiping the blood off her face and kissing in front of the Met cop. And then he's like, Wolf Netherton. And we see him in the cab saying, you know, you're all the rainbows and unicorns, Miss Fisher. And when they kiss and they just look at each other. So obviously they got feelings for each other, which is kind of weird that they're, they're going there, but whatever. So then she's like, wait, she's like, where was it? The, the hand with no thumb. It's like your secret place. And he's like, oh, I'm such a fool. And he start walking. And I will talk, I finished the the book also. So I'll talk about that at because the, there's so many things that are different. So hopefully I'll remember everything that I want to say. So it looks like um, Ossian is watching them. He So he in his encrypted language, he, he asked if, he, if he, they should call Zubov. 
Ash picks up her orb and sees them walking and she's like, no, it's like we serve a new master now. So Flynn and, and Wolf get to this meadow by a pond and there's like people sitting on chairs and blankets, you know, tossing a ball or something like that. Then he says, he's like, it wasn't like this. It was a forest, you know, trees as far as you can see. Flynn does like her finger wipe thing. And then all the people disappear except for one, like on a bench. And it's Alita as a little girl that we saw her. I think it was the first episode. She asks Wolf. So she calls him Wolf. This was like from before. She asks him like, what took so long? And he's like, no more games. She's like, where is she? And she tells him to, to follow her, but she's like, not her. You know, she doesn't want Flynn to go. And he's like, no, it's like, she's the heart of this. So she's coming. And Alita says, eyes and ears, Wolf. And she shares hers with others. And she turns her head and says, is that right, Ash? And she's like looking right at the camera with the orb that Ash is looking through. Then Alita's like, she can leave on her own accord or I can send her myself. And she pulls out a pistol. Wolf tells Flynn, he's like, just go home. He's like, I'll, I'll tell you everything. He's like, I give you my word. So Wolf and Alita walk out to a tree. Oh, and so when she leaves, Ash can't see anything now. So Alita, little Alita, asks Wolf, Wolf, if it looks familiar. And she says that this is where the camp was when they first met. He doesn't seem to remember. And he says that he was too young. She's like, you were seven. And, you know, she's like, you were young for many things, but remembering isn't one of them. So for some reason, he doesn't remember all this stuff before. It's like he's blocking it out for some reason. So we, we see behind um, someone's ear, there's like some stitching. And then it's like they remove a headset. So then little Alita shuts off and the real Alita shows up. So the, the ear thing is she took her implant out. So she says the reason he doesn't remember is because he's not supposed to. She says it turns out that their implants are rather complex devices. One thing that they do do best is suppress memory. So he mentions her ripping hers out means that she lost her immunity boost amongst other things, which he suspects she'll soon come to regret. She says that she started to remember things like everything. You know, there she's like, there are bodies under this lovely green turf, thousands and thousands of bodies. And she's like, dig a hole, love. And then little Alita, so now she's in peripheral form, she starts uh, pulling like the sod away. Then Alita tells Wilf that his mother's here and his sisters and his little brother. So he'd remember them if he just cut himself free. And little Alita pulls out a skull and Alita says that her family's here too. They were all slaughtered. Little Alita holds out the skull and Alita's like, she says like, take your hands out of your pocket, pick it up. And she asks if he wants to know who killed her family, he's it's like, it's the klept. It's like, you know, your mate Lev's father and his sort because they were running things then. You know, there was a contagion in the camps and they wiped them all out for fear of it. And not just here, all over England. It was all coordinated. Five million people in under a fortnight. They suppressed their memories because they still fear us. And Wolf's like, us? So more people walk out from behind him. And she says that she's gathering them. You know, little army of the dispossessed. And he's like, he asks, what does she expect to do with you know, this little bunch? Because he's, he's sure that the klept and the R.I. will be terrified. He's sarcastic. She says that they need what all that they need are the proper tools. And he's like, which are? And she's like, the secrets to every wonder that the R.I. have ever built. Infinity in the palm of your hand. And he's like, well, where would you possibly get that? And she's like, inside the girl's head. So that's information that she tried downloading that accidentally went into... Flynn when it was supposed to go into the stub, into the peripheral, you know, when, when she, or no, it was supposed to go into, 
Burton, and, and then through his haptics, she'd be able to access it. So the boys are talking to Jasper about Corbell being dead. Then he's like, he's not dead. And another's like, yeah. So they owe it to him. So these are, um, so Jasper is Corbell's nephew and then his, his three drug selling flunkies or whatever, they're at the bar. So they say that they owe it to him to carry on the legacy. And one guy's like, I, I don't know his name, but he's like, I should be in charge. Cause he's like, I was his number two. Then they are sort of arguing over who gets to be in charge, whatever. Then this, this guy's like, he's like, well, what do we do? Like how the old Romans did it? He's like, I can't think of a name, you know, but there are three leaders and Jasper's. So Jasper's actually kind of, he, he knows a thing or two because he's like a triumvirate. He's like, but there are four of us. Then they laugh at him. They're like, well, you can still drive and wash our cars and stuff. And then he he finishes a pitcher of beer and he tells Jasper, he's like, let's get a fresh one of these. And there's just like a stare down. So they obviously have like zero respect for Jasper, even though he's clearly like more intelligent than them and like more clean cut. And, you know, he actually cleans showers or whatever. So Jasper finally gets up and then the, as he's walking towards the bar, the guy's like, oh, and let's put on your uncle's tab if they're still honoring it. So it's like, okay, this isn't a good thing. Later in the car, one uh, says to Jasper, one of the dudes, is, he's like, open the window. And he like ends up throwing up inside. The other two laughed. They're like, oh, you'll have to clean that up later. So, um, oh, so the, the guy that wanted to be in charge, I think his name was Atticus. So Jasper's driving. Uh, he's like, who's, you know, so more driving. Some time goes by. He's like, who should I drop off first? But they're all passed out. So he parks the, the, the SUV. He gets out. He's parked on train tracks. And he walks away. He calls his wife, Billy Ann, Flynn's friend. And he talks about uh, like an old Monopoly game when they played. You know, He was ahead, and he was letting others borrow money. And then Burton came out ahead and won. And you know, she said that he'd never amount to anything if he didn't do something. And she's like, well, I didn't mean it. And she's like, why are you saying this? And he's like, because I'm about to make a big mistake. And so he he hangs up, he goes to the car, but it's locked and he left the keys inside. And then he's like starts pounding at the window. Atticus is in the passenger seat and he's, you know, passed out. He won't really wake up. So Jasper picks up this big rock, tries to like smash in the window, but these are like these like bulletproof cars that Corbell had. So Atticus finally wakes up and he's just like so dazed and there's a train coming. And then, so Jasper has to run, smashes into them huge fireball it flips it's upside down explosion they're gone so the only concerning part is will they be able to tell that atticus wasn't driving or will the impact and everything like was it it just doesn't matter like he got knocked out of there and it, it's gonna be all toast the next day flynn is riding her bike tommy's waiting like on the path and sitting against his car she says that she heard about the train crash and he's like that's not why i'm here so he says that he knows that she's been keeping secrets. He's like, I get it. And then you know, he says he got a phone call from Homeland Security about right-wing militia chatter, You know, serious enough for Holmes to sound an alarm. So he needs to know if she and Burton know anything about it. And she asks, well, what is it? And he says that they say that they're planning to blow up a missile silo, uh, that new Air Force silo nearby. And she's like, I don't know anything about that. And he like kind of scoffs. And she says, she's like, I got to go. And she, she drives off for a bit and calls Macon to get the headset ready. So she goes back. Her peripherals is uh, close to Ash. She's like, where's Wolf? 
And Ash says, Ash asks, like, why are you back? And Flynn says that the silo explosion they saw in the jackpot museum, Sharice is trying to make that happen in her timeline. So Ash gets this, like, look on her face, and Flynn's like, you already knew? And Ash, you know, she doesn't know what to say, and she sits down, and they're out by this clearing. Flynn's like, what the fudge has she done? You know, she's like, what have you done? So Ash says that the the data that Flynn and Alita stole from RI, it's stored in DNA. And Flynn's like, it's like that's the crap in my head, the reason I've been having the, the fudge and seizures. She's like, what is it? Ash says it's the entire library, you know, that she, she suspects that. It's enough to wreak havoc in both their worlds. And now Lev knows about it. Ash says that she you know, has to understand if the club got hold of it, you know, she's like, she, so she told, you know, Sharice Newland, she had to. Flynn like hisses. She's like, and now she's going to vaporize my entire fudging state just to make sure Lev doesn't get his hands on a data. You know, she's like, my life, my family, everyone that I love, it's just a fudging game to you, is it? She's like, winner takes all. So then Flynn starts walking away. Ash's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going to win. So Flynn is, uh, she's waiting by Connor's body in some like, just like wrecked area, like factory or warehouse or like that. He wakes up and Flynn says that this is uh, the real London, and you know, at least a part that they haven't rebuilt yet. So she says that they're there so they can talk without being overheard. And she tells him that Sharice is planning on blowing up the silo. Flynn wants to open up a new stub, and he asks if she's saying what she he thinks she is, that you know she wants to re- reboot like in a sim. And Flynn's like, yeah, yeah, it could save them, and she's going to need his and Lobier's help. So this is where I'm a little unclear, like what fully her plan is. And this doesn't happen in the book. So Flynn tells Lobier about like a black hole about in, a, in a sim. You get to a level where no matter what you do, you end up dying over and over because you made a mistake early in the game without realizing it. Lobier apologizes and says that she wished it hadn't come to this. Flynn mentions that you know she asked if she had the power to sever the connection to, this, to her sub. It's like, do you? And she's like, no. She's like, well, what about opening a new one? Lobier says that you know she's afraid the delicate power that governs this world would make her part in this uh, an outright declaration of war, but she is aware of how one might do it. So Flynn says that Sharice will think she won and that Lobier helped her do it so they'd have access to all that data in it that Alita stole, which would save her world from the jackpot. Lobier says that the odds are pretty daunting. An ally might benefit her, like her brother, Flynn says that her brother can't know. If he finds out, he'll never let her go through with it. So I'm not really sure, again, like what is exactly, like is Flynn going to sacrifice herself in order to make a new stub? Connor said he'd help, of course. So Lobier asks if she's absolutely certain. She's like, yeah. So Lobier says the RI has several ancillary sites at undisclosed locations, and they're called stub portals. Even the guards don't know where they are, you know. So they're they're there, but they're, they're, the guards are in peripherals, but they don't know where exactly they are. They're just in these peripherals at some remote location. So the they they pilot them like remotely. Uh, so she's like the guards there will be just as strong as Flynn is, and she's just she's like just send me to one. So Flynn goes to this old church, and she's like says I've arrived. She sees like a scanner in a wall, like an eye scanner thing. This gardener comes up and asks if he can be of assistance. And she's like, she she says, can she ask a question? She's like, is it still queasy when you get back or did they fix that? And he's like looking at her. She And she's like, when you wake up in your real body, you know, after you shift and this peripherals done. 
and then she kicks him and they start fighting uh, you know he's using like the handle of a push broom that he had she manages to force his eye by the scanner and it like crunches his neck so she like destroys the peripheral so he's like sent out of there the doors open from the, the scanner she goes down some stairs and sees like this gold pocket watch on the floor she picks it up and then like the paintings on the wall shift and there's like four other people like standing in the room but i guess they're peripherals because they're like not moving Sharice is alerted and she's like watching like what's going on the the four people in the room now they're they're not moving but um flynn takes a weapon from a suit of armor like right before one starts fighting her so someone must have jumped in a second one moves and she impales it at first and she twists uh, the axe it gets like knocked knocked out of her hand like into the wall it's like one of those like double-edged blades and she's like fighting the second one she manages to force him back like onto the axe like kind of like severs neck she's uh then fighting two more she snaps she just, like breaks its legs in a couple places she kicks the other ones in the face she's, she fights it moves so then one moves it gets a hold of her it's like about to snap her neck but then she does this like flip over ends up behind it snaps his neck or the peripherals next so then she puts a the pocket watch in a slot on the computer screen it opens up and then sharice dials into uh one of the peripherals with the busted legs and she's like you really thought you could escape me so easily and flynn says to sharice that she has a bad habit of taking control of dying things sharice says that flynn has no idea all she's uh, putting into peril flynn looks at the screens and she's like they're all here aren't they you know it's like all the other lies and all I got to do is choose where I want to begin. So she moves her hand towards 2032. And Sharice's like, wait. She's like, I will find you. I'll give you my word. And Flynn's like, oh, I would be so sure, Sharice. And she hits the year. And she says, I think I want to be the hunter now. You see, I know exactly where you are. And you have no idea where I'm going to be. Not without the coordinates. And she squeezes and, and like crunches a pocket watch. Computer screen shuts down. And then Sharice is like, no, no, no. Flynn wakes up, takes off the headset. There's a flashback to her and Connor. And he's like, are you saying what I think you are? You want us to reboot like in a sim? And she's like, it could save us, Connor. But she's going to need his help in low beers too. She's like, if she could pull it off, there'd be whole new versions of them there. Ones that Sharice will have nothing to do with. They'd be safe there. Connor's like, but we'll be dead in our own world. Which so I don't understand exactly what that means. So, But then... So I guess they'd be, they'd make a new stuff, but it wouldn't be them, right? So Flynn, you know, so what? They'd be dead in her own own world. But Flynn shakes her head. She's like, unless I'm already gone, then she'd have no reason to blow up that silo. So he curses and turns his back. So I think she's gonna end up dying. And then she says that Burton said he once shot somebody in Texas two kilometers out, and Connor's like Burton's full of poop. It was at least three clicks. So Flynn says that this thing that she's talking about, it'd have to look like Lobier sent somebody as a favor to Sharice for solving her problem for her. Does he understand what she's asking? He's like, yeah, I get it. Then he asks, he's like, what about the future world? She's like, you know, are we done with it? And she's like, no. He's like, we'll be back. And he's like, why? She's like, because I'm going to kill that bitch. And he smiles and he laughs. He's like, yeah. You know, she says that she knows it's a, it's a lot. If it helps any, she'd made peace with it. And she says that she'll take a walk by the creek and she'll come back in her head from 10 and then she hugs him. So in the present, she walks down the road to the creek. She's like looking at the trees. Connor's there. He's got his, his sniper rifle. He's closed his eyes. She turns back 
10, 9, 8. She's thinking of Burton, Billy Ann, you know, riding next to Connor on, on you know, while he's on his, his motorized thing and she's on her bike. Seven, she's seeing her, like her mom getting her eyesight. Six, she's thinking about Tommy. Then she thinks about the Halloween home movie. Five, four, three, Burton holding her hand at the hospital, out on the porch with Mama. Two, closes her eyes, camera pans out, we hear a gunshot. And it like kind of goes black. So Connor had to shoot and kill Flynn for some reason. And this, I don't know how exactly that's going to create a new stub or what exactly that means. But she's like, I'm still going to the, the future. Because in the future, Flynn wakes up in a peripheral. She's sitting across from Lobeer outside. And Lobeer is like, so shall we get to work? Which is like such a cheesy like ending line or whatever. But that's how it ends. But then after the credits... Lev and his wife, Dominica, to get out of his car. They had dinner with his, or I think they had dinner with his father. And she's complaining that he always promises, but then he talks with his father while she's trapped with his, with his mother. And he's like, but mother enjoys your company. And she's like, yeah, that's lovely and flattering, but the feeling isn't reciprocated. If, you know, he could just, and then she stops. They're at like some club or something like that. And there's like these three dudes sitting at a table. And she's like, oh, Lev, what have you done? He's like, nothing. He was supposed to meet his father. And a dude's like, you know, your father sends his regrets. He wasn't feeling well. He's like, it's you know, not in the best of health. And then the second said that. The third one says that he asked them to speak with him. And he's like, about what? Accepted practices here in London. You know, how they get along. And Lev asks, he's like, did I do something wrong? Second dude is like, the research institute placing us at risk. He, the first one's like, it's unacceptable. Absolutely. And the other one's like, there's a price, son. And then he says that his recruitment inside the RI was nothing outside of the norm. He was trying to get, trying to exploit an opportunity. He deeply regrets if he did anything that they feel could jeopardize their standing. He's like, I assure you, that was never my intent. I sincerely apologize. He's like, I can only hope that they forgive him. And then they look at each other. Then they start laughing. They're like, oh, you should see your fudging face. And they say that they get it. It's always in their interest to keep tabs on the RI. They tell him to do whatever he has to do, just cauterize the wound. He's like, your asset, any affiliates, all, you know, they all come back to him. So he's like, they need to vanish. He's like, all of them? And he's like, yeah. Because they're like, you know, your wife looked lovely and the children. So basically they're saying, if you don't do that, we're going to kill your wife and kids. So then the other's like, this is us warning you. So I think that means he has to get rid of Wilf and probably like uh, Ossian and Ash. So I'm not fully, I don't know who these Russian dudes are, but there must be like the head of the klept or whatever. So I hope that there's a season two, because if there's not, I haven't heard anything. Now, as far as the book, uh, the book is, is kind of, kind of different. You know, there, there's like some characters are, that are not there but just the fact that in this alita is wilf's sister there's no mention of like the childhood all that that stuff like them growing up together her saving him because again alita is wilf's ex's sister which just seems so weird that they just pulled this there's like absolutely no connection so you don't have any of this going on and also there's like a lot more stuff like impact in the, the present because with uh the the company that they set up they're like pumping all this money and they're buying all this stuff to kind of like help protect 
Flynn and Burton and her, and her family and her buying all these businesses and just getting all this stuff involved, getting you know other like kind of mercenaries to help protect them and stuff like that. The problem is uh, the enemy, uh, which I guess would be Sharice. I don't even think there's a Sharice character. I think it had a different name. But they're sending people back there as well and buying other stuff. So it's just, it's weird how all that's different. And the the main thing is Alita was killed like on this balcony and that's what Flynn saw when she was doing the sim thing at the beginning. So because she saw this dude that was there, that's what put her at risk. So I don't even think she had the, the whole data thing, like all that in her, her mind or whatever. So it was interesting. There's, I think, I'm pretty sure that there's a second book out, and then there's a third one. That I don't know if that's out yet. I think it's supposed to be a trilogy, but only two books are out. So I don't know if I should listen to the second book yet or wait, since it obviously would be spoilers. But we'll see. So, uh, I, but I really enjoyed the show. So I, I really, really hope that there is another season. Okay, then there is Star Girl. Season 3, Episode 13. This is the series finale. Frenemies, Chapter 13, The Reckoning. So it starts out nine months ago. Sylvester Pemberton's grave. Dragon Master is with someone, tells him to dig. Then there's at the lab, bodies on an operating table. He injects this chemical, the body gasps. Jordan's there. So Jordan was, was the one that was with the Dragon Master. He's like, hello again, Starman. And Sylvester's like, what are you doing? He's like, you've been in the ground a long time, my friend. You are needed again. A hero like like you, you know, is already loved and respected by the public. They do anything that, you know, you said. They'd even vote for you. So then he's like, you'll be my mouthpiece. And his professor's like, great plan. One problem, I'll never work for you. And Jordan's like, yeah, I know. I, he's like, I know how strong-minded you are. That's why we're gonna move, remove it. And then Ito's like, ultra humanite gets your body, and I get his in my continuing quest to become something greater. So it's like, I don't understand how Dragon Master is like, yeah, I'll go into this giant albino gorilla. I mean, maybe because his body's deteriorating or he's turning into a lizard or something. I don't know. So then Ito has this little like buzzsaw. So it's like, wait, wait, wait. He's like, what'd you do to Pat? He's like, Pat. So this part comes back, that what, what he says there. So it cuts to today. Sylvester standing over his grave. He's like, bye, Pat. So he's he buried Pat alive. And it's like, there, there's no way he can get out of this. Right? At the house, uh, Courtney tells Rick that Sylvester told him about the hourglass limiter, but didn't warn him what happened to his father. So that just seems weird. Beth said that he also told her to protect her parents, which meant like pushing them away. Uh, you know, af after all the help that they did, Yolanda mentions that Sylvester said not to trust Cindy and they, and, but never gave, they never gave her a chance. And Barbara's like, why would Sylvester purposely give all of you bad advice? And Beth's like, to keep us distracted? Yolanda's like, to break us apart? Rick says, to weaken us? And Courtney says, to take our confidence away? And, you know, because he took the staff from her and said that she wasn't worthy of it. Barb's like, he's dead wrong. And Courtney's like, well, then why couldn't I take it back? Yolanda says that he wanted it for himself this entire time. And Rick's like, well, why didn't he just take it right away? Why wait? And Barb's like, we have to find Pat. At the uh, uh, Mockens, Jordan asks Cameron and his parents, like, how was the vigil You know, for, for Cameron's teacher? And Cameron's like, there's still no sign of him. And Jordan's like, 
he's like, well, I have some news. He's like, Starman has agreed to let go of our, uh, our past differences, but he's afraid that Courtney and her friend aren't quite so willing yet. So they'll need to convince them. And then he says something has happened to Courtney's stepfather. He's been killed by ultra humanite. And then his dad, Jordan's dad's like, stop lying to the boy. And then his wife, Jordan's mom is like, shut up. So she's like, she's so like wicked. They don't know where Pat's at. He's not answering his phone. It's going straight to voicemail. So then Cameron calls her. It says that Starman's at the junkyard. She's like, you're looking for him, right? And she tries asking. She's like, what do you mean? But then Cameron's like, well, my family's coming. I have to go. So is Cameron trying to help her? But then Cameron says to his dad, he's like, I don't like lying to her. And Jordan's like, well, this is the best way to offer Courtney our help you know, in these trying times, you know, face-to-face. So in the woods... There's some like muffled groans, and then Pat manages somehow to dig himself out of the grave because he like crawls, starts crawling out. Cindy um, busts out of this tunnel hatch, and she pulls up Jakeem and Mike. So, you know, where are they? They they come out of this secret because you know they they wish themselves to one of her dad's labs. So they're by the tire factory in Blue Valley, and then there's a loud, loud roar behind them, so they have to run because ultra humanites coming at them at the junkyard. Courtney, Rick, Yolanda, and Beth, they're in costume, and they hope that Barbara can get a hold of Artemis because they could use her. They find Starman with um, all four McKents. Jordan's like, hello, Courtney. And Cameron seems like embarrassed that he lied. Jordan says that he stands with his family and Starman on mutual ground with only good intentions. And she's like, where's Pat? And Sylvester's like, I'm sorry, Courtney, Pat's gone. And she's like, gone? So Starman's like, Pat came to him when, you know, he settled with Jordan. He tried to convince Pat to join forces with them. He refused. So he went into the woods alone looking for an ultra humanite and it killed him. So Jordan says that if they're going to get any justice for Pat, they need to team up. Courtney says that she doesn't believe anything that they say. And Sylvester says that he knows he was harsh earlier. And she's like, you're lying to us. You know, both of you. It's like, you've been lying since you came to Blue Valley. Cameron's like, but I wouldn't lie to you. He's like, I'm sorry about Pat. He's like, the only thing that they can do now is work together and stop that monster before it hurts anyone else. Then Stripe lands behind him. And Courtney yells out, she's like, Pat? He's like, yeah, Court, it's me. But that's not Sylvester. It's Ultra Humanite. So then Sylvester, Ultra Humanite's like, are you kidding me? He's like, why won't Stripesy die? And he like blasts him with the staff. He flies up yelling. Grandma's like, now you freeze, you wicked children. <laughs> It cuts to uh, Dr. Ito and Ultra Humanite's body. He finds Cindy, Jakeem, and Mike. He says to Cindy, he's like, you don't belong with them. You belong with me. He's like, you belong to me. And she charges at him, starts fighting to distract them so the other two can get away. Starman, he's blasting away. And I'm going to call him Starman. It's not Starman, but you don't know. Ultra Humanite. He's blasting away at Stripe, tells Pat that he has a lot of heart. He doesn't know. He's like, I don't know how you dug yourself out of that grave, but you're going to wish that you hadn't. Pat comments about him having you know, his best friend's face. He's going to knock it off. He shoots his fist at him, which is it doesn't do anything because then Starman just twirls the staff and knocks it away. So Ultra Human, he seems to be doing like an awesome job with the staff. Like he's He knows all his tricks and everything. He's like, how long have you been in that body that, that you, know, you haven't even had the staff that long and you're doing all this stuff? So Courtney says that he lied. Jordan's 
uh, you know, he says, you know, not another word. And he like, he kind of freezes her chest or her throat and she's like gasping. She falls. Cameron runs to her, but then Rick knocks him back, like bumps him with his shoulder. And Rick says that he's like, you're getting played by your old man, but I'm still going to kick your butt. So Cameron and then maybe Jordan, they, they do something to mess up with Rick's equilibrium. So he like falls. Then Yolanda is dodging grandma's blast. Beth finds herself facing grandpa and she activates combat mode. Sylvester walks towards uh, the knockdown stripe. He says to Pat that none of this had to happen. Courtney just had to give him the staff. Her friends just had to listen to him. This could have been you know, perfect for everyone, but Pat couldn't stay in his lane. Now all of them are going to have to die because he will not stop being Starman ever. He slashes that stripe and you know, like to, like, to, to get Pat out of there. Beth detects hesitation uh, with the grandpa. Then she tells Mr. Marquette, she's like, I don't want to fight again. And he's like, neither do I. And she says that, she's like, well, we have to stop everyone. And then grandma yells at him. She's like, kill her. And he's like, no. She's like, no more of this. In Norwegian, she's like, do it or I'll kill you, you useless idiot. So it's like, geez, grandma. She raises her hand and it starts like icing up. Then Yolanda like yells and jumps by. The ice blast, you know, knocks her hand. The ice blast hits the car like it's like there's like these racks or something like that, where it's so it's, 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 I don't know if this is normal for junkyards, but it, it so it hits this this car. It's like teetering. Uh, <laughs> Grandma tries making the ice shield. The car just like smashes her, <laughs> and the three just like stare in bis- disbelief. Uh, you know, like her feet are sticking out. She's like kind of like the wicked w- witch of the west or whatever. And Yolanda looks looks up at Beth. She's like. I didn't do it. <laughs> Mike and Jakeem are watching Cindy fight her dad. And Mike, he's like, you got to be direct. He's like, be honest, just make a wish. So Jakeem stands, stands up. He's like, I wish the most beautiful woman in the world didn't have to be bothered by her father. And Mike's yelling at him. He's like, I told you to be specific or whatever. And then Thunder's like, wish is granted. He flies up. He grabs Ultra Humanite, um, whatever, Dragon King. They go straight up. And then a big white fluffy stuffed gorilla lands in Cindy's arms. So he that that wish somehow turned her ultra humanite into like a, a stuffed animal, a stuffed gorilla. Starman smashes open stripe, he yanks out past, tosses him aside, and he Sylvester's like chuckling. He's like, No more robot. Courtney checks on Rick. Jordan says, like, he's like, This is your last chance. Pledge your loyalty. He's like, right now. And then he gets shot by an arrow to like the shoulder. But it's not Artemis. He got shot by Barb. Get away from my daughter. Jordan just pulls the arrow out. He's like, it's such a shame. He's like, she was going to be perfect. You know, she and Cameron would have been together. And he's like, Barbara, he's like, I know what you and I had could have been reignited. And she's like, we never had anything. I never understood this whole thing. Why he, you know, he had a crush on her. She's married. And it's like, there's never anything. Jordan takes a deep breath. He's like, goodbye, Barbara. He starts doing like almost like a Kamehameha, you know, it's like powering up Dragon Ball Z. And then Cameron, he's like, stop. And like shoves him out of the way, you know, to, so he doesn't shoot her. So Starman, ultra human, still blasting after Pat. It's almost like he's toying with him. He's like laughing. He's just enjoying this. Barbara tells Courtney that the staff belongs to her. And, but she's like, well, why would it work for him? And she's like, because you thought it should. So it's why Sylvester could just take the staff. Not until you believe that it worked for him. 
So Starman gets ready to deliver the final blow. He's like, for real this time. He's like, goodbye, Pat. The staff's glowing. It's like almost like it's red. And Courtney runs up. She's like, hey, staff doesn't work for you. It kind of flickers and it shuts off. And he looks out. He's like, no. They run at each other. He swings uh, the staff at her, but she does like one of those kind of like sideways twirl jumps. She um, gets her hands on it. It glows a little bit. She yanks it back, swings. He leaps. He tries calling it back, but she's like, you're not worthy. <laughs> Big bright explosion. She does this backflip. He just like falls on his back. She's like, but I am. The staff comes to her. She crouches a bit, posing, <laughs> but she gets up. The staff like warbles at her. She's like, I miss you too. Starman gets up. Pat nods to Courtney and she leaves. So Pat says to Starman, he's like, no more staff, huh? And charges at him, like tackles him. So now they're going to fight, which is that the best idea? Cameron is fighting his dad. And it's like, wait, so he's like doing all these jumps. And so it's like, what, did he always know gymnastics and, and whatever flips, flips, gymnastics? I don't George's like, don't force me to do what Brainwave did to his son. So he's raising his hand and starting to ice up. He's like, I'm begging you. Courtney flies down, sends a blast that knocks him down, and she's like glowing. She's like, the fact that you went there says everything. So Sylvester and Pat are still fighting. Sylvester's like, you're supposed to be my best friend. And she's like, you're not him. Courtney and Jordan are fighting. A blast accidentally like toasts like his face a little bit, so it's a little like singe. Uh, you know, and she like um, she blocks. You know, he he blasts her. She blocks it. She jumps. Cameron blasts him. Sends his dad flying back. Jordan like rolls his feet. He's like, I only wanted what was best for you. And Cameron's he's he's like, just you got to get to give up. And Jordan gets another blast ready. Tells him to do. He's like, do what you have to, or I will. Jordan unleashes his big blast, big cloud of like snow and ice, whatever. And then you see that this face goes flying up. So like, wait, did did uh, Jordan turn into snow or something? Pat and Sylvester are still fighting. Pat grabs a rock and finally just smashes against Sylvester's head, knocks him out. Cameron goes to his grandfather, tells Courtney to, to stay back. He's taking him to, to get help. And then he's leaving. He says that you know he betrayed her, betrayed his own family. His grandmother's dead, and his father. Courtney's like, I can help you through this. He's like, goodbye, Courtney. There's another like snow smoke bomb whatever just push and end their gun so i don't know how they got away at the house pat pulls out a crate courtney looks at the display case she tells cosmo she's like if you still want to use a fancy crate you can you know just because ultra humanite made it and cosmo twirls whatever it flies into the old crate so cosmo staff doesn't want anything to do with it she asks pat you know how'd you get out he's like practice He's like, Sylvester's first adversary was Dr. Weird, W-E-E-R-D. He took me hostage one time. Sylvester told, taught him a trick, how to dislocate both thumbs so he could break out of restraints. Which I still don't see how that, that could help him from digging out when you got like dirt packed up on top of you. I mean, unless it was just like loose, I don't know. So she says that she's sorry it wasn't really Sylvester who came back. And he's like, I am too. And she says... You know, when he said all those horrible things, she's like, I heard him. And she said, he, he, or he's like, hey, I heard you too. And he puts his armor. So this part, it was, it was, like, it was like very emotional for me. It was just like touching. And, you know, they're sitting on the stairs. He puts his arm around her. He's like, I heard every word. He's like, thank you. So it was, it was just, just a nice moment. 
Rick sets the hourglass down on a table. He's at Beth's. He apologizes to her, like her and her, her parents for how he spoke to them. And he's like, I'm not going to blame that. You know, it's, it's like it was on him. The parents like, it's okay. She's like, we're just glad you're better. And he's like, thank you, you know, for being there for me. And Beth's like, or he's like, Beth, your turn. So she stands up and she says that to her parents, like, you know, they've been her guide since she was a kid. And then when she was Dr. Midnight, they helped her out. And she's like, I do need your help. And she's like, I want your help. She's like, I'm asking for it officially. And the mom's like, do you mean like your sidekick? And she's like, uh, that's like kind of derogatory, but they love it. They're like, let's do it. Let's talk costumes. Sylvester's body's like in a hospital. It's like incubated. Dr. McNider says that the body is perfectly fine from all the cosmic whatever energy and stuff like that. But there was a brain bleed that left ultra humanites mind irrevocably damaged. So he's basically brain dead. He's not coming back. Courtney's like, well, what do we do with them? And, uh, Ultra Humite said that Sylvester's gone. You know, he's like, he did lie to them every day. So he's like, I say we just keep him on life support just in case. Which is a good idea because then we see like this snowy mountain. There's a secret base. There's a glass jar with a brain labeled Pemberton Sylvester. And in Sylvester's words, you know, where he said at the beginning, he's like, where's Pat? Where's Pat? He's like, Pat. There's like repeated and it's, it's almost like it's on a loop playing through a speaker. So I don't know what the point of that is. Maybe it's like torture. So Starman's brain is alive in a hidden jar, unattended. Pat and Barb sit with Mike in the car. They're outside the diner. And he says that you know, Pat, Pat's like, she should be inside. He's like, well, wait out here unless. And Mike's like, no, no, no. He's like, please, like, can you wait? So he's going to go meet his mom. Mike goes in, and they're, they're like watching because they're, they're by the window. She puts her her like her hand on his shoulder or whatever. Then they, they go and sit. It's weird because like they didn't hug it at the beginning. But I guess it's just a little awkward or whatever. So they sit, they talk, and Pat like holds Barb's hand. Courtney walks to this other house, like this other neighborhood, knocks on the door. This girl answers, and Courtney's like, "Are you Becky?" And the girl's like, "Who are you?" She's like, "I'm Courtney. I knew your dad." So at first I'm like, "Wait, who's Becky?" It's gambler's daughter that he was looking for mike gets up his mom hugs him now and then she walks him to the door and you know as she's come out she looks at pat she waves to him and the car mike's like that was nice and he's like you she figured some things out she seems to be doing well and then he's like thanks for asking if i wanted to see her and pat says he's like i'm proud of you and then uh mike says to barb he's like thanks mom and she's like we love you so much. He's like, I love you guys too. So it was nice that he called Barb mom. Courtney shows Becky the letter from the gambler, how he said that he wanted her to know that he didn't abandon her. And he wanted her to know that he loved her. She hugs Courtney. She's like, thank you for this, whatever. And then she's like, goodbye. And she goes inside. Courtney likes kind of smiles reflexively. She kind of like reaches for her necklace that her dad asked for back. Because you know she's that was her whole point of this. You know, think about her dad and wishing that he cared and all that. Rick goes out to the woods, um, he, and he's like, you know, Starman, Dragon King, Ice Cold. Seems like everyone got a second chance except for you. He's like, I miss you, pal. He's talking to Solomon Grundy because he's still buried. Then there's this rumbling and a big Solomon Grundy hand busts through the ground, and Rick smiles. So it's like now finally he comes back at the house. 
Sydney sees Mike and Jakeem chasing the dog who's carrying the, the fluffy stuffed dragon king. And she smiles. She's like, having fun, daddy? Yolanda's over too. Beth and her parents are like talking to Rick. Uh, Dad says that she's like, "Oh, we're sidekick." She's like, "I'm Nightlight," and Mom's like, "I'm Hootie." In honor of uh, Midnight's Owl, Yolanda seems a little sad thinking about her parents, and then she decides to call her mom. And she finally says, "She's like, I did lie to you, Mom, but the truth brought my friends closer to their parents." She's like, "I hope it can do the same for us too." Barb asks Pat, "He's like, where's Courtney?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm sure she'll be home soon." Courtney walks past the McKents and it's dark, but then it starts snowing and she turns around and cameras her. Do you really think you could help me? And she like goes to him and they hug. Then in Copenhagen, Denmark, three months later, Jordan's walking the streets at night. He hears a noise like a clang and someone whispers, Icicle. He goes to look stupidly. He steps on something like sticky and it's like his foot's kind of stuck. And Artemis is standing like up above, like on a, on a ledge. She's like, hi, Mr. McKent. And she's like, you're standing on petroleum jelly laced with blah, blah, a couple or whatever, some stuff. She's like, my dad put it on his hockey pucks. It's highly flammable. It even burns on water. She lights a flare. She's like, this is for my parents. She tosses it down. He burns. He tries icing up, but he can't because he's just, it's just so much flame. He, and then he's just completely engulfed. She lifts her mask. She's like, you're not coming back this time, Mr. McKent. He like falls over. He's, he's done. And then it cuts to 10 years from now. So it's like, what? But this is the last episode. The Shade is giving like a tour. It's like just, you see like the big Justice Society of America table. He mentions Star Woman instead of Star Girl. Star Woman, Wildcat, Jade and her brother, Obsidian, Dragon Queen, which is Cindy, Stripe 2.0, Jakeem Thunder, Icicle, which maybe that's Cameron, uh, Artemis, Sand, Damage, as well as Our Man and Dr. Midnight. So Our Man, Dr. Midnight, they're getting married. So Rick and Beth are getting married, I guess. And he's going to officiate it. Uh, I think he even mentioned Solomon Grundy. And he talks about fighting Eclipso, Ultra Humanite, whatever. Um, and both the true Sylvester Pemberton, they, or they, they brought the true Sylvester Pemberton back to life. So I guess they, they found his brain somehow. They rescued the seven soldiers of victory from a cosmic deity called the Nebula Man. He's like, they're the greatest hero the world has ever seen. But it's like, not the last. There's a new generation waiting. Then this like portal opens and like something like slices through the table. And it's Jay Garrick. He's like, Shade, the Justice Society is needed. And according to Courtney Whitmore, that includes you too. He's like, so, you know, gather the troops or whatever. And he's like, our adventure's not over. And he's like, are they ever? Fade to black, never the end. And that's that's it. It's over. So that just, man, he's seeing all that stuff. It's like, oh, if only we could have seen more of that. So it was a good ending, but man, it's, it's a bummer that it's over. So that was Stargirl. It's it's really too bad. I enjoyed that, um, and just Breck Bassinger, she's just like she does such a good job as Star Girl. I mean, I think it was like like perfect casting. So, all right, Wednesday season one episode seven. If you don't woe me by now, so it's raining. Funeral at Jericho. Mayor Walker was killed, but so he died from a hit and run, and someone killed him at the hospital. Wednesday says she knows the killer's walking among them, planning her next move. She's wa- and watching everything she's doing. 
Xavier looks at her. So it's like, is Xavier involved? She knows that she's close to the truth and she has all the pieces of the puzzle. Bianca looks at Lucas, um, you know, because she, she feels bad for him. You know, they're starting to form like a friendship, a relationship maybe. Sheriff makes Tyler come along before he can uh, try talking to Wednesday. Wednesday says a killer will make a mistake and she'll be ready. So most people have left. Then there's like shadowy person watching and ducks behind a tree. When she looks, she goes after running through the woods. She somehow lost a person. Then they jump down from the trees. Um, so she must have had her fencing saber and an umbrella because she jabs it forward. And uh, the person like catches the blade with both hands, sends a zap of electricity, with, which makes Wednesday drop it. Then a voice is like, still as sharp as ever, my pigtailed protege. And then she smiles and she's like, Uncle Fester. So they walk. She's like, how long have you been stalking me? And he says that he just blew into town this morning and was hit by a wave of nostalgia. And she says that she thought he didn't go to, to Nevermore. And he's like, I didn't, but you know, your dad got all the brains. I just used to drop in on him. So usually from the ceiling with a dagger clutched between my teeth just to keep him on his toes. So he, his, Gomez had filled him in on what's been going on. Monsters, murder, mayhem. He's like, what fun. He told her dad that he has a job in Boston that he'd check up on her. And she's like, what kind of job? And he's like, the one that he needs to lay low someplace for a couple days. So she takes him to the honey shack, says that it belongs to a friend. And he's surprised that she made a friend. He says that he'll need to go home in a, a body bag because you know she's not good with friends. She stops him from eating the hibernating bees like with a duster. She looks, looks at him because he's like, oh, snacks. So he says, he's like, oh, you remind me of your mother. And he is like, he asks if she knows what kind of monster she's dealing with. And she shows him a sketch. He's like, oh, that's called a hide. And she's like, as a Jekyll and Hyde? He says that he's seen one before in 83 during his vacay at the Zurich Institute for the Criminally Insane, where he got his first lobotomy. He's like, they're like tattoos. You just can't get one. He tells her about the hide uh, at the Institute. It was a pianist. She transformed like in the middle of a performance, killed audience members and three critics. So he has no idea what triggered the change. She says there's never been any mention of Hyde's in any of the Outcast books, and Nevermore is reputed for having the best collection. He asks if she's tried Nathaniel Faulkner's diary. You know, before Faulkner traveled the world, he uh, he was a catalog or, or something. He was cataloging every Outcast in the community. So the diaries in the Nightshades Library, because uh, he's like, I had to sit there because Gomez and Morticia weren't in his dorm room. And then Fester found a, a safe that he was hoping had cash or jewels, but he instead he found a diary. And he's like, he's, or she says they'll sneak into the library tonight. In the meantime, lay low. And then as she leaves, she's like, if you're discovered, I will disown you and collect a reward tied to your capture. And he's like, I'd expect nothing less. And she's like, and don't eat the bees. Because he's like making a move towards him again. She's typing. Her novel started as fiction, and, but now it's turned into her personal looking glass. She says her visit to the Gates Mansion left her with so many questions. And so then I'm, I'm starting to think at this point. So actually, I think it was a little before this. I was like, is a therapist really Laurel? She looks at the music box. Whoever is... Uh, sleeping in the mansion will surely kill to protect her secrets. So Goody has been nowhere in sight when she needs her. And then Enid comes back in and she's like, Oh, sorry. I thought you'd still be at mayor Walker's wake. 
she's and Wednesday's like as soon as the dirt hits a coffin I'm out which is not exactly true Edith says uh that she can't seem to find her bottle of silver moon nail polish she's like do you mind if I look around and she's like Yoko is hosting a Manny petty party for her crew Wednesday says like this is the third time in 24 hours you've forgotten something Edith ignores her just like so how's everything going and Wednesday says solitude suits me it's like with no annoying distractions i'm almost finished with my novel edith asks if she was an annoying distraction and wednesday's like well you definitely had some annoying habits and edith's like such as she's like you giggle when you text which is a 24 7 addiction edith says that well at least it's not a migraine inducing typewriting hammering into her head and wednesday says that when you're not grinding your canine you growl in your sleep and Enid's like, as opposed to late night cello solos. So they, they go back and forth, whatever like that. Then Enid says that she guesses she's a lucky one with new bestie who doesn't try to find ways to endanger literally everybody that she comes into contact with. And she says that she and Yoko are so in sync. Yoko is begging her to be her new roomie permanently. And then Wednesday like turns away and she's like, well, don't let me hold you back. And Enid, she's like, enjoy your solitude. And Wednesday's like, it's not solitude if you're still here. And Enid slams the door. Wednesday goes to the Nightshade Library. She calls out to Uncle Fester. And someone's like, who's Uncle Fester? So Xavier's there like a creep. And she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, since I'm an actual Nightshade, yeah, I don't have to explain myself. And he says, he's like, what's your excuse for creeping around in the middle of the night? And she's like, research. And he's like, on the monster? And he's like, I'll save you some time. There is nothing in there matching that thing. And she's like, isn't that convenient? She turns to leave, and he's like, you know what your problem is? And she's like, I'd love to hear your piercing insight. He says that she doesn't know who her real friends are. You know, he's been on her side since day one. He literally saved her life. He believed her theories when nobody else did. All she gets, in, or all he gets in return is suspicion and lies. And she's like, fine, you want honesty? Here it is. Every time the monster attacked, you've been right there starting with Rowan at the Harvest Festival. Then on Outreach Day, you know, you arrived just minutes after the monsters disappeared, yet you say you didn't see it. He says that he didn't realize proximity was a crime. She mentions his drawing obsession. He drew it even though he claims he never saw it. He even drew where it lived. And then when Eugene went to investigate, he said, like, you tried to kill him so he wouldn't spill your secret. He's like, you think I'd hurt Eugene? She continues, let's not forget your oh-so-convenient appearance after Tyler had been attacked at the Gates Mansion. And he says that if he's a monster, why hasn't he killed her? And she's like, because for some reason I cannot fathom or indulge, you seem to like me. And he starts to back away. And he's like, what's to like? Then Uncle Fester hops down. He comments that, you know, because Xavier's gone. He's like, oh, the tension between you two. He's like, you cut it with a, with a cleaver or something like that. Thing turns up. So Thing is mad at him over the Kalamazoo job. He like jumps his throat. It's like choking him. And Wednesday's like, enough. It's like, there's a, she, she goes to this painting. There's like a safe and Thing uh, working on it. It takes second try. He cracks the, the, the safe. So Wednesday gets the, the diary out. Then in her room, Fester asks how she swung a single room. And she says that her roommate couldn't handle her toxic personality she flips through the pages and finds a page on Hyde. Chemical inducement or hypnosis. Uh, a new master went unlocked by someone. She says that that means that she's looking for two killers. 
there's a knock and then Thornhill's there and Fester manages like disappear somehow. So she says that Enid requested a room with Yoko, you know, to room with Yoko for the rest of the year. Wednesday's actually kind of surprised. So like maybe, she, you know, she didn't think that Enid was serious. Thornhill says that when there's a falling out, she likes to get both girls perspectives. She said that they seem thick as thieves. And Wednesday says that ultimately thieves turn on each other. And then Thornhill says that she's like, you can deflect all you want, but you know, we both know that you care about Enid. And, you know, Wednesday has to admit that she managed to bring out a spark of warmth in her, but she's like, don't worry, just a tiny spark. And then she says that, you know, part of the dorm experience is to connect with someone you wouldn't normally connect with. It's like those friendships often turn to lifelong bonds. And Wednesday's like, I'd rather buy a rope. So Thornhill asks, it's like, is it really difficult to admit that you made a friend and might actually miss her? Wednesday says that she'll survive alone. And, you know, she always has. You know, if and then she's like, well, if that's your decision, then I'll submit the forms to Weems. So I guess Wednesday and Enid aren't going to be roomies anymore, which is a bummer. Xavier talks to someone on the phone on the way to the art studio. He's he says that he needs to talk to him right away. He's like, yeah, I know where that is. He's like, I can be there in twenty minutes. And then Wednesday's like right behind him when he turns around. He's like, who are you talking to? He like hesitates and he's like, that's none of your gosh darn business. And she says that she's like, I know what you are. And he, he asks her, he's like, why don't you just stay away from me? Wednesday and Fester hide behind a tree. Xavier rides off on his bike from the, the art shed. Fester placed a tracker on him somehow. And then he has this motorcycle in the sidecar that he stole. I think it was like a pet's dog sitting or like something like that. It's like checkered or something like that. So they, he, they ride in it. He even has like a helmet for her. So they go to the lake. Xavier meets with the doctor therapist, Dr. Kidbolt. And she's like, get in the car. She seems like angry. So it's like, are the two of them involved with this? Wednesday barges into Weems' office saying that she needs to talk to her about the doctor. And she's, then you hear, Wednesday, we're just talking about you. And Kidbot's like, speak of the devil. And, you know, she's off to the side with, like, a trade tea. Wednesday's like, and she shall appear. So apparently they were talking about Wednesday's assessment. Weems needs to sign off on it before she hands it to the court. Wednesday's like, well, what's the verdict? Am I cured? And Weems says that she was telling the doc that, you know, Wednesday has been making small, tiny steps of progress. So Wednesday says, or that she, you know, she reached a half hug stage. And she mentions hypnotherapy. She's like, maybe it's time to unlock my inner Wednesday. And she asks uh, Kinba, she's like, are you a devotee? And she's like, yes. She's like, you know, they, we have a session Monday. We can start then. So Wednesday, you know, obviously Wednesday's not into that. Wednesday's at the weather vane with the book or with the diary. Uh, she's sure that Kinbolt has to be Xavier's master. She figures that she figured out he was a hide and used hypnotherapy to unlock him. Tyler comes over and, uh, Wednesday introduces uh, Uncle Fester to, to Tyler. He, Ty, uh, Tyler sees the diary open to the hide, and he sits down. He's like, that's it from the, the night. And she looks at him because she says that his father gave him explicit directions not to be near her. And he's like, well, my dad's not here, and I'm on my break. So she says that apparently a hide needs to be unlocked by someone, so it's master. Then his dad walks in. He's like, what I say? And Tyler's like, well, for the record, Wednesday was trying to keep her distance. He's like, I sat down with her. And 
you know, so he, he looks at them. He's like, all right. He's so he's putting up flyers about a bank robbery suspect. You know, he's he's like, he's a real creep. And there's a picture under it. It's a bad picture of Fester. He has a hat and his like heads down so you can't even see his face. The dad leaves. Wednesday uh, thanks him. She's like, you didn't have to do that. And he's like, well, what about rescheduling our date? And she pauses. And she's like, between the monster and my uncle, because Fester like, disappeared when the sheriff walked in. So she's like, well, between the you know, monster and my uncle, he's like, no excuses. And he's like, after what happened, you owe me. And she's like, well... I can't sneak off campus. He's like, all eyes are on me. He's like, well, I'll come to you. He's like, 9 p.m., Crackstone's crypt. In her room, she finds Enid's nail polish. The thing motions, and she's like, she says that she doesn't miss her. She's like, friends are a liability that can be exploited. That makes them a weakness. And she said that Thing's job is to guard the diary while she's gone. And she, and she says, it's not a date. So, outside the crypt she warns tyler that the last surprise for her, her there didn't go well he he gives her like a black rose and he tells her to close her eyes and she's like are you serious and she says that she's only doing it since she owes him which is like uh-huh inside she opens her eyes there's like lights all strung up around like the pillars and the pedestal he rolls down like the sheet and he asks her how she likes scary movies so he has like a movie projector they're gonna watch legally blonde the sheriff and a man, they find Fester's bike, and the sheriff wants to go check by the lake. Wednesday's like, that was torture. Thank you. So he says that he wants them to be more than friends, and she's like, well, you'll snap out of it. And he asks her not to like diminish his feelings, and she's like, I'm not friend material, let alone more than friends material. That you know, She'll ignore him, she'll stop in his heart, and always put her needs and interests first. He says that you know she can keep trying to push him away, it's not going to work. And she says that she almost killed him. And he says that he survived. And she's like, beginner's luck. So he moves to kiss her. And she's like, you're making a mistake. And he's like, probably. And she's like, definitely. So then he, or she actually like tilts her head to, to kiss. But then the, the doors open. There's like lights shining in. It's, it's the dad, the sheriff, and some other cops. And he's like, yes. He's like, Tyler's like, what are you doing here? Dad's like, the school's groundkeeper found a motorcycle matching the description down by the lake that the bank robber stole. He's like, there's a canoe missing, so I figured it might be at Raven Island. He's like, and I'm not even going to ask what all this is. He's like, but I never saw the two of you here. So she returns to her room. The place is trashed. Furniture's overturned. Paper's all over the floor, so I guess it's her novel, maybe. And that's the thing. She's you know typing it on a typewriter. She's not even saving it anywhere. So she wonders about the diary. And then there's like blood dripping on the record player gramophone thing. Um, and she's like, Thing? And then Thing's been impaled on a wall with a dagger. So it's like, oh my gosh, they killed Thing? She yanks the blade out, wraps him up, runs to the bee house, tells Fester the Thing was stabbed. It's not moving. Fester rubs his fing- his hands together or whatever. He zaps him with two fingers, like, you know, to try to do, you know, whatever shock. Doesn't work. He tries a couple more times. It does work. And Wednesday's eyes are actually like watery. And if Fester sighs, he's like, he's gone. And she's like, no, he's not. He pulls him closer. And she's like, Thing, if you can hear me, if you die, I will kill you. She tells Fester to go against. He does it once, twice. Then there's some twitching. So she's like, who did this to you? So Thing was knife from behind the back. And she's like, coward, whatever. She's like, she promised whoever did this will suffer. And then they do like a pinky swear. 
and she wipes like some tears and she's like, I'll stitch you back up. She tells Fester that they found his motorcycle. So the sheriff won't be far behind. He needs to go. He says that he'll go in the morning. So she goes, she tells Weems, whoever ransacked her room also stole Nathaniel Faulkner's diary. Weems like, that was supposed to be safely locked in the Nightshade's library. Wednesday's like, oh, so you do know about that diary, which means you also know that the monster they're after is called a Hyde. Weems tells um, Thornhill, she's like, I can take it from here. So Thornhill leaves. Then to Wednesday, Weems says that Faulkner spent years studying Hyde's She's like, well, you know, were they all mindless killers or conscious of their actions? So he was killed one before he could conclude. And they were officially banned from Nevermore 30 years ago. Wednesday says that if she knew it was a hide, why didn't she tell the sheriff? And Weems is like, because then Nevermore is done. But she's like, she says that if Wednesday suspects, suspects someone, she needs to tell her. And Wednesday's like, why? It's like, all you have done is gaslight and obstruct me. And she's like, you don't care how many people die as long as your reputation is safe. In the quad, Bianca walks by her and she's like, come with me. She's like, I have information on Mayor Walker's murder. They go down to the Nightshade's library. Lucas gives her some like pages. He printed them off his dad's computer. Seems that he was trying to track down someone, someone named Laurel Gates. He started right after outreach day. Wednesday says that he must have recognized her. Lucas says that the British police say she drowned, but nobody was ever recovered. Wednesday reads the pages. So apparently the Gates mansion was purchased a year ago by a 90-year-old candy heiress. Then she mysteriously died and gave all her, all her belongings to a caregiver, Teresa L. Glau. Wednesday says that it's an anagram for Laurel Gates. So she must have done all this to get revenge on the people who she blames for her family's misfortunes. Luke is like, you know who Laurel is, don't you? Then Wednesday shows up at the doctor's office. So Kinbot's like, we don't have an appointment scheduled for today. And Wednesday says that she wanted to return something. You know, she found it in her old childhood room. So it's a music box. And she opens it. Wednesday's like, I know you're Laurel Gates and you've come back to Jericho to seek your revenge. You know, so did Mayor Walker, which is why you had to kill him. And she says that the roses she left in Eugene's room were a mistake, that they were the same variety that she found near her childhood bed. And Kimbot says that she honestly has no idea what she's talking about. Wednesday's like, there's only one reason overqualified psychiatrists like yourself would settle in an inconsequential backwater that is Jericho. It allows her to crawl through the troubled young minds of outcasts until she found a one that she can manipulate to exact her revenge. Kimbolt's like, you know what? She's like, I don't have time to deal with your delusional fantasies. She's like, I have a patient emergency. And Wednesday's like, who? Xavier? And she says that she knows about their secret sessions that she's been holding in her car. She also found a cave where she's been holding sessions to unlock his hide. And Kimbolt's like, you are so out of line. And she's like, you need help. She's like, more than I can offer. So she pulls out her phone and she says that she's calling the judge, that she's going to recommend that she stay in a juvenile psychiatric facility for observation. And Wednesday's like, oh, please, you and I both know I'll be running that place in a week. And then she sets on the music box. She's like, time's up, Laurel. And she walks out. So Kidbot calls Weems. She's like, Wednesday Adam just barged into my office. It's like she didn't have an appointment and her behavior was completely irrational. Then she hears like, glass shatter from the bathroom and there's like some thumping and Weems is like what and you know and then uh 
she uh, what's her name a uh, kid about opens the door the hide is in there and she screams so weems like hears all this on the phone so then it weems in wednesday are sitting at the hospital the sheriff comes up and he's like she's gone so dr kinbot's dead and wednesday's like this ends now so is dr kinbot laurel obviously not xavier goes to the art studio at night wednesday's waiting in the dark and he's he's like you need to stay out of my space and she's like you need to take your own advice and then she plunges the, the blade on the table she's like you left that in my room and she's like actually you left it in thing she's like how long have you been seeing kinbot so he's like of course you've been spying on me he takes a knife he's like because i'm the villain in your fantasy he says that his father thinks his mental health is a pr problem that you know he that he needs to manage so he wanted to keep his troubled son out of the tabloids he says that he wasn't in her room believe him or don't believe him he doesn't care she walks around and she's like your paintings have been improving she's like i enjoyed this one in particular she like lifts this drape over one it's kinbot with like slashes over her face and she says that it feels like he's really lived it and then she asks, what is rowan's inhaler doing in your shed or eugene's glasses or these stalker images that you took of me and she's like don't forget your latest edition kidbot's uh necklace is there and then he yells he's like someone planted that stuff and then the sheriff barges into his gun freeze drop the knife he's like get on your knees so he gets cuffed by one of the other cops reads him his right sheriff says he's like appreciate the help adams xavier yells he's like you you framed me he's like i'm being set up he's like i should have let rowan kill you so it's like uh is Xavier guilty or not? Because that's uh, that's kind of harsh. In her room, she finds Enid like unpacking at her bed, and Enid just says, "Hey," and Wednesday's like, "You're back." Enid said that you know she's gone for a few days. The place gets trashed, and the thing almost dies. Someone's got to look out for you too. And Wednesday's like, "Why does someone change a heart?" Enid says, "Because they work. They shouldn't, but they do." Everything she said about her is true, but she doesn't apologize for it. Not anymore. It's just who she is. Wednesday stares, and then she's like, Thing said he missed you too. She says that uh, Ina's like, I missed him too. Uh, then she says she's sorry about Xavier, and Wednesday's like, I'm not. He's a liar and a killer. Besides, there's nothing quite like the feeling of being proven right. And then, except maybe somebody to share it with. She's like, Thing may have blabbed about your date with Tyler. She's like, so how'd it go? And she says that it was interrupted. And Enid says that she hears Tyler's working a late shift. So Wednesday goes to the weather vane. He says his dad told him about Xavier. He's like, oh, it's pretty nuts. And, you know, he seems so normal. And she says that it has made her reevaluate things, like, you know, who she can trust. And he's like, does that mean you're ready to be more than just friends? She walks up to him, smooch. And it's just like more like a kind of like a peck and then more smooches. And then she gets a vision. Kinbot's getting slashed, lying on the floor in a pool of blood, looking up at the monster. Then it's Tyler. So she comes to with Tyler standing over her. She's like, are you okay? And she's like, I need to go. Outside, of course, the first boy I kiss would turn out to be a psychotic, serial-killing monster. She's like, I guess I have a type. Then she runs down the street. And that's the end of the seventh episode. Then, season one, episode eight, A Murder of Woes. It's, so it's the next night. Tyler's waiting. Wednesday pops out. He says Thing gave him her note. 
he was surprised that she wanted to see him again after she read out the other night. And he's like, is this a date? And she's like, it's a surprise. He moves to kiss her, but she like dodges. Uh, she says that when she came to Nevermore, romance was the last thing on her mind. But when he kissed her, he opened her eyes and suddenly it all made sense. So Xavier warned her about him, but she didn't listen. And he's like, he, ironic now, huh? She's like, ironic would have been framing Xavier for murder while the real Hyde helped her put him away. And he's like, wait, you don't think, she's like, I don't think I know. She's like, Kinbot probably discovered your secret during one of your sessions, so she unlocked you. And he's like, why'd you kill her? He's like, I thought Hydes were typically loyal to their masters. And he's like, serious, this is nuts. And she's like, on outreach day, she told him that he, he she was visiting the old meeting house. Did Dr. Kinbot, Kinbot send you to spy on me? That night at a raven, you overheard Eugene and me discussing your cave in the woods. You probably warned Kinbot. And then Eugene probably saw her torching it. Then she sent you to clean up her mess. She's like, I have to hand it to you, Tyler. She's like, wounded yourself that night at the Gates Mansion? That was a masterstroke of misdirection. He tells her to stop and asks her if she knows how insane she sounds. And if she really thought he was a monster, why would she risk bringing him out to the woods to confront him alone? And she's like, who said I was alone? The other kids come out and surround him. And he says, that he's like, I don't know what kind of sick joke that you're playing, but I'm out of here. And Bianca says, she's like, actually, and she uses her like siren powers. You're coming with us. He comes to an Xavier shed. He's like chained to a chair. He sees all the drawings and, and she's like, welcome back. He's like, where the hell is, am I? And she's like, where no one can hear you scream. And then he's like, what's with the chains? She says, she's like, don't ask stupid questions. And he's like, this is crazy. He's like, I'm a normie. And she's like, well, that's only half true. And she pulls out the fencing team picture with that her mom was in. She points to another. She's like, do you recognize her? And she's like, perhaps if I had been distracted by my own mother hug, hogging the photo, I would have noticed this, you know, your mother sooner. She's like, your father fell in love and married an outcast. And he's like, fine, she was an outcast. This doesn't make me a monster. And she's like, well, according to your personal medical records, he, he's like, you stole my medical records? And she's like, well, technically thing did. He's like, you took them from your garage. Your father's quite the pack rat. So her postpartum depression triggered her condition. He says that his mom had severe bipolar disorder. And she's like, we both know that's a lie. She was a hide and your father's been living you know, his life in dread, never really sure whether or not she passed her condition on to you. He asks if the others are just going to stand there and let her do this to him. And Ajax says, he, he's like, Ida just texted. Thornhill's getting suspicious. So it's like, how long until he morphs into that thing? And he's like, I'm not that monster. And she says that he is. She saw it in a vision at the weather vane. And he's like, you're basing all this on, on some vision after we kissed? He's like, can you really trust that? And she pulls out a saw and some other stuff. She has like this bag of like weapons and stuff. And Bianca's like, wait, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, just some like torture. She's like, don't worry. I won't leave a mark. And she's like, there's only one thing a hide understands, pain. So she zaps him in the neck with like a taser. And they're like, wait, 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 no. Yoko's like, that's it. I'm out. And she leaves. Another one's like, she's like, me too. And then Ajax leaves. He's like, because he's he can't handle this. Bianca's the only one left. And she's like, we should just go to Weems. And Wednesday's like, Weems won't help. And Tyler's always one step ahead with of his father. So Bianca's like, well, you're on your own. 
And then he yells, he's like, don't leave me alone with her. And she stands in front of him and she has two tasers. The sheriff listens to Kid Bot's tapes. He's like, when I press him on his mother, any sensitive issue, he snaps, becoming cold and detached. It's like I'm talking to a different person. I'm increasingly concerned. I believe the trauma of losing his mother may have left Tyler with deeper psychological scars than I suspected. Then he gets a call. The kids are in Weems' office, so she's on the phone with him. And she says that they have a problem, and her name is Wednesday Adams. So Wednesday asks what Kinbot, or should I say Laurel Gates, is using him for. And she asks, what about the body parts in the basement of the Gates mansion? What was she collecting them for? So you can hear sirens are coming. She takes out a hammer. She's like, let's test your reflexes. And she raises it, and the sheriff barges in with his gun. Get away from my son. In his office, Weems says that the sheriff isn't pressing kidnapping charges, which is a miracle. Wednesday says, of course he's not. He's like, how long have you known? And she's like, excuse me? He's like, when I gave you that claw from the cave, he's like, did you, or no, he says, excuse me. Um, she's like, when I gave you that, that claw from the cave, did you already know the truth? And Weems is like, that's enough. The sheriff says that Xavier Thorpe is her hide, that they have the evidence thanks to her. And he's like, that's why I'm giving you one last pass. So she says that Tyler is going to turn on him too. And Weems like, let's go. So she walks out and then Tyler's like, he was in this other room. And he's like, wait, the sheriff tries stopping him. And he's like, I need to talk to her. He's like, we're in a police station. It's like, what's going to happen? And he's like, make it quick. And he like walks up to her. And it's like, what do you want? He wants to ask her a question. And he's like, what does it feel like? And she's like, what does what feel like? And Tyler's like, to lose. You know, at first, I'd wake up naked, covered in blood, no idea what happened. But over time, I started to remember everything. The sound of their screams, the panic in their eyes, and a fear so primal, I could taste it. And it was delicious. Then he pulls her close and he whispers. She's like, you have no idea what's coming. And he walks away. And he's like, he's trying, or she's trying to contain her, her seething. She's so upset at, at losing i guess and the fact that he's getting away with it so weems says that the quid pro quo for the sheriff not pressing charges is her immediate expulsion wednesday says the others had nothing to do with it she's like i acted alone then weems like for someone who claims to have no friends you certainly go out of your way to protect them so she says that they didn't have the guts to do what needed to be done and she, weems is like kidnapping and torture she's like i would you know hope not wednesday's like do you realize, or you do realize that Tyler brutally disemboweled six people, then harvested a variety of their body parts? Weems is like, well, perhaps if you'd come to me with your suspicions, rather than take them into your own hands, we could have worked together. And she's like, yeah, because trust and cooperation have always been hallmarks of our relationship. Weems says that she admires Wednesday's ability to be her own person, but her actions put her and the school in an impossible position. Wednesday's like, Tyler is a hide, and he had, he has framed Xavier. He confessed everything to me. Wednesday says that she wished that she could believe her, and she's like, you know his mother was an outcast? She was a student here? You must remember her. She was a hide. And Weems like, yes, Francois, a lovely woman. I didn't ask what she identified as. Wednesday says to give her more time, and she can prove that there are hides. 
Weems says that there is no more time. There are no more deals. She's like, pack your steamer trunks. We'll have them shipped. She's like, you'll be on an afternoon train tomorrow. And she's like, I'm sorry, Nevermore didn't work out. I'm sure your mother will be very disappointed. And so am I. Xavier is in a cell with a big chain around his neck. Uh, Wednesday comes in, says that Thing distracted the guard and is looping the cameras. And she says that she knows he's not the hide. Tyler used her to frame him that he's the actual hide. And he's like, how do you know? She says that she saw it in a vision when he kissed her. And he's like, well, I'm glad you're getting some action while I was falsely accused. She's like, oh my gosh, shut up. You're such an idiot. She says that she should have believed him. But since he seems to have some psychic connection to the hide, she was curious if he's drawn anything recently that might shed some light on this. And he's like, you want my help? You ruined my life. He's like, no, I, I tried being your friend. Look where that got me. And she's like, this isn't about us. And he's like, no, it's about you. Every time you get involved, people get hurt. You're toxic. All you ever do is make things worse. She says, Tyler warned her something bad was coming. So she thinks, and he's like, I don't care. Cause she pulled out the drawing of her in Crackstone. He's like, if you want to stop this, then leave, go, go far away and never come back. You understand that way that can't happen if you're not here. He's like, that's how you save everyone. Okay. Just leave. And she walks up. She packs the last of her things, her typewriter. Wednesday says that she assumes that Enid will be moving in with Yoko and leaving her in the past. And she's like, not ever. And she's like, what about you? Will you forget about me? And Wednesday's like, Enid, the mark you have left on me is indelible. It's like, anytime I grow nauseous at the sight of rainbow or hear a pop song that makes my ears bleed, I'll think of you. And Enid's like, thanks, I guess. Wednesday says that, you know, she always believed relying on others would be a sign of weakness that they would inevitably lead her to disappointment and she's like turns out i've been the disappointment ina's like are you kidding me she's like i've learned so much from you she's like part of it is admittedly criminal behavior but most people spend their entire lives pretending to give zero f's and you literally never had an f to give she's like any chance and she literally said f like eff like not censoring it like i do and she's like, any chance you've got some sort of sneaky plan to elude Weems? She says, Xavier's right. The prophecy cannot come true if she's not there. But it kills her to leave while Tyler's still walking around free. Enid says, well, if he tries anything, we have a school full of gorgons, vampires, and werewolves ready and waiting. She's like, on a good note, I got a text from Eugene's mom. He woke up last night. Maybe Weems will let you drop by on your way to the station. And then Thing snaps. And Enid says to Thing that she's going to miss um, his makeup tutorials and she's like and you better keep sending moisturizing tips wednesday takes a last look enid comes up to her she's like so are we gonna wednesday backs away slightly and enid is like you're right you know not hugging is kind of our thing so it's like oh, it's such a bummer she's like they should hug so wednesday comes down the others are there bianca says that the plan wasn't to get her expelled you know they're sorry Wednesday says that the nightshades need to be ready for what's coming or a lot of uh, people are going to die. Thornhill comes running up and, you know, she's like, oh, I lost track of time. You know, she has a parting gift. Wednesday's like a white oleander, one of nature's deadliest. Thornhill says it also symbolizes destiny and renewal. She says that, you know, she's a very talented young woman that she can't wait to see what she does next. Weems comes up, says this time she's personally escorting her to the train. Wednesday says that she's like, I have one final favor. 
Wednesday walks into Eugene's room at the hospital. Says that, you know, she's glad to see he's finally awake. He says that he heard that she visited him all the time. And she's like, don't ever mention it again. She says that she shouldn't have gone to the dance. She should have been with him. And he's like, it's not your fault. It's the monsters. She says that it's actually called a hide. And she says it's still out there. You know, it's like, you can't go back to Nevermore. You have to listen to me this time. And he's like, in, in that woods, someone set fire to that cave. And she's like, yeah, Dr. Kinbot. He says that, he's like, I don't remember much. Just, you know, I saw someone wearing black and those boots. He's like, there was an explosion of, of bright light. And just for a moment, I saw that they weren't black, that they were red. And who has red boots? Thornhill. Thornhill has red boots. So she's at work in her, like, whatever uh, work area, greenhouse or whatever. She's like, Petri dish, a blue liquid, which is nightshade stuff, the poison. She's putting it into a needle. And then Wednesday pops in behind her and, like, startles her. And she says that she thought that she'd be halfway to Jersey by now. And she's like, you can drop the act, Laurel. She's like, I should have known it was you. Faking your death, securing a job at Nevermore, unlocking a hide. She's like, she usually has admiration for well-executed revenge plot, but hers is a bit extreme. And Thornhill's like, oh dear, Weems was right. So she turns and she, she puts the, the needle in her pocket. She's like, you do need psychiatric help. She's like, she can't just throw out wild accusations without consequences. And she says that Tyler told her everything. Then he walks up from the back of the greenhouse and Wednesday says initially she incorrectly accused Kinbot of using hypnosis to unlock him, but you use a plant derivative chemical, didn't you? So she knows that her father kept tabs on all the outcasts. So she assumes that he told her about the, the Galpin family secret when she was just a girl. That's why she targeted Tyler. And we see her like touch Tyler's hand. And when, you know, she gets her coffee so Wednesday says that she manipulated him by showing him what his mother truly was. Tyler didn't realize that the truth wouldn't set wouldn't set him free. It would enslave him to her. And that was uh, scary at first. So she used the cave and the shackles. Eventually, he willingly became her servant. When Kinbot came close to finding the, out the truth, she had Tyler kill her and pin it on Xavier. And then Thornhill's like shaking her head. And then she finally takes her glasses off and she's like ugh she's like that's enough she's like Tyler honey make mama happy and shut her up permanently so Wednesdays says that he's not on her side Thornhill Laurel says Tyler will do anything for her and she goes up to him she's like remember what I told you what the outcast did to your mother so Wednesdays like he says that you know if she only hates outcast why is, is he killing Norm normies as well and Laura says that they're just pawns in a bigger game, just like you, Wednesday. She's like, once again, you've underestimated the situation. It's like, you were never getting on that train. And she sent Tyler to intercept her. Wednesday says that she never made it to the station. And then she's like, heard enough. Laurel turns around. Tyler is really weems. So she shapeshifts back into herself. And Wednesday's like, your slave is probably still at the station. Weems asks her not to make this more difficult than it already is. And, and she, you know, she calls her Marilyn and she or pulls out the needle. She jams it into Weems' neck. She's like, my name is Laurel. 
Weebs falls and is convulsing, and then is dead. So it's that fast. And then Wednesday's like, nightshade poisoning. Laurel's like, a fitting end, don't you think? And she whacks Wednesday in the head with a shovel, and it knocks her out. And things just like watching in the distance, or like, you know, hiding somewhere. Enid and Ajax are smooching in her room, and Enid's claws pop out, and she's like, says that she's, she's like, I'm okay, I think. Then Eugene calls her, asking if she's seen Wednesday, and he says that she and Weems went to confront Ms. Thornhill, but he hasn't heard a peep from either of them. Thornhill is behind everything that's happened. Then Thing comes scrambling in. He tells her about Weems, you know, doing some like hand motions, whatever. And Enid can understand him because she's, I guess, apparently spent time with him. Tyler and Thornhill took Wednesday to Crackstone's crypt. And then she's like, who are the nightshades? Thing points to Ajax and he's like, uh, I'll explain it in a way because Enid wasn't part of the group. They leave, but she left her phone. So Eugene gets up from his hospital bed. One of his moms is like, you know, Edith's right. Uh, you know, if Wednesday's been taken. He's like, you know, we need to call the sheriff. And he's like, no, I got to go. He's like, I got to help her. So Wednesday's chained. Tyler comes up to her. So they're in the crypt. There's lots of candles. It's like, who who took the time to light all these candles? I always wonder that when you, when you see that. And it's like, how, do you light them? How do you, you have to light them at the same time or like the first one's going to burn out before all the, you like this last one. Laurel makes Tyler go wait by the boat. I guess they're, I don't know what, where they're going to go. Or Laurel says that Weems shape-shifting stunt almost worked. And she's pretty angry about her ancestor, Crackstone getting killed by Goody Adams and the land stolen, the abomination of a school, you know, for, the land was taken for that. So she's, going the supernatural approach. She had Tyler collecting body parts to resurrect Crackstone. Wednesday's like, you can't raise the dead. She's like, I've tried. And Laurel says that um, Goody would disagree. Laurel has Goody's Book of Shadows that she stole the original from the Pilgrim world, the amusement, the Pilgrim theme park or whatever. Wednesday's asked, she's like, what's this have to do with, with me? And Laurel's like, you're the key. He's like, your arrival set the wheels of my plan in motion. Goody sealed Crackstone in his sarcophagus with a, a, a blood lock. So she made Wednesday feel special until she was ready to be sacrificed. Xavier struggling in the back of the sheriff's cart. Then Laurel puts Wednesday's hand in like something and she like, just like jarves or, or this, bowl of whatever some liquid she reads in the book the jars with the body parts start glowing it's thundering outside there's like electricity crackling black smoke is coming from the tomb and then crackstone's out so, so, so he's back she tells him she's like i am of your blood i summoned you to rid the world of outcasts once and for all he's you know kind of wrinkly and, and stuff you know and then he holds out his hand with his ring and she looks at it, and then she comes and kisses it. He says that his vengeance will be swift and true. Wednesday somehow managed to break out of her binds and says that her vengeance will be too. So he raises staff, which is apparently magical or something like that. And like he freezes her. He calls her Goody Adams because they, they obviously it's, they look alike. He says that, you know, she haunts him still. So she will suffer the same fate that he does. He stabs her in the gut. So Wednesday gets stabbed. 
and he tells her to burn in the eternal fires of hell and twist a, he twists the blade. She like staggers back and she falls to the floor. Then Crackstone Laura just like walk out. So I don't think there's going to be a season two of Wednesday, right? Enid is in the Nightshade's library with Ajax. She's like, I can't believe you're in a secret society and you didn't tell me. He's like, well, because it's, it's a secret. The others come in and she's like, even Kent's here. He's like the big dopey guy. She's like, how exclusive was this club? They tell Bianca and the others that Thornhill murdered Weems and they took Wednesday to Crackstone's crypt. They have to get all the school, like everyone out of there because everyone's in danger. Thing comes up and Enid picks him up. Uh, Bianca says that she'll use her siren to get people, you know, they have to get them to leave, but they don't want everyone to panic and get hurt. Enid and Thing will look for Wednesday. They say to Nightshades, uh, Nightshades Forever or something like that, and they like snap. Like and thing snaps too. Enid's like, there's even a secret snap too. Wednesday's lying on the floor. You know, she's got a knife in her. She hears Goody. Um Goody says that Crackstone must be stabbed through his black heart. It's the only way that he'll be vanquished now forever. Wednesday's like, uh, in case your you know perception is, is failing, it's like I'm I'm dying. Goody's like says that Wednesday's necklace is a powerful talisman. And she says, you know, her mother told her it was for conjuring visions. Goody says it is also conduit for conjuring spirits. It will allow her to pass through her and heal her, but just know that once she does, she'll never see her again. So she's like, the school needs Wednesday. So Goody holds Wednesday's hand and she like yanks out the knife. Her hand starts glowing and her spirit goes into Wednesday. Wednesday sits up with like a gasp and she like looks at her hand and they're like healing because there's like some cuts and stuff. The sheriff stops his car in, in the middle of the woods. Xavier's like, he's like, why are you stopping? And so he's like looking at his phone. He's he's tracking his, his he's like, are you tracking your little monsters like that? Bianca's getting ready. Gers getting everyone to leave. Uh, she's like, there's danger on the way. Ina's running with thing in the woods. She falls and then there's like some snapping noises, kind of like bones. Like So she's starting to wolf out. She's like, it's happening. And she like howls. Wednesday hears the howls. Then Tyler like pops out. He thought that she was dead. And he's like, you're like a cockroach. And she's like, please, flattery will get you nowhere. He grabs her and she says that this will not end well for him. He starts turning into monster. He changes. He grabs her and slams her against a tree. He gets ready to slash her, and then Enid flies at him, knocking him down. So she's snarling, rolling. Wednesday gets a look at the wolf. There's like some like the the blue and pink on its, its head, and Tyler like, swats her away from behind because they're they're kind of like looking at each other. Then then they charge at each other again. Wednesday says that she needs to get back to school. She like runs off. Crackstone barges through the doors at the quad. Laurel is at his side saying how much this moment means for her and her family. He yells her. He's like, silence, woman. He's like, be gone. I will cut thy tongue from your wretched mouth. And this was kind of like, she's like, never beat your heroes. She's like, come on, really? So she leaves. He says that he will expunge this abomination from this land. And he slams his staff down. There's this big like fireball. But I just don't understand how he gets these mystical powers. You know, he's against outcasts and, and stuff. You would think he'd be against magical stuff too, but I guess he embraced it. Xavier stupidly yelling in the back of the squad car. Then he hears something on the roof and it's Thing. And he's like, yes, yes. She's like, Thing. 
But it's like, I thought he doesn't want anything to do with them. The sheriff's using a just trace my kid app, but there's no service. And then he hears a roar. Tyler and Edith are still fighting. And Tyler has advantage because his arms are longer. And he's holding like Edith up in the air. And then he gets shot by his dad. So Tyler roars at him. The sheriff's like, Tyler, it's like, son, is that really you? And he moves towards him and then Edith attacks again. She hits him with like a good kick. The sheriff runs to Tyler. He's changed and, you know, he's kind of bloody. And it's like, is Edith hurt? Thing crawls towards her and she changes back human and Thing like holds her hand. So it's like, that was another sweet moment. Wednesday picks up uh, the big sword on the display stand. It's a, I, I don't know if it's the same one that Gomez and Morticia used. It might be. Crackstone's about to zap a couple students. Then behind him, howdy pilgrim. So Wednesday's there with the sword. He's like, how can thy heart still beat? And then he's like, stay here, stay away from her. Xavier shoots an arrow, and he magically stops the arrow by raising a hand, makes it turn around and fire back at Xavier. Wednesday steps in front and takes it to the shoulder. So there are other students, and she yells at Xavier to get them out of there, and then she yanks out the arrow. She lunges with the sword. He blocks it with his staff. She does like a backflip or something like that, kicks him in the chin, more fighting and blocking. Then her sword shatters against the staff. So he uses the staff to shove her back. He's like choking her. And then he's like using it against her chest. He says that he will send her back to hell, which is like, when was she ever there? Then a blade goes through his chest from behind. It's Bianca. He turns and he swats her like across the quad. Wednesday takes advantage of the distraction, picks up like the busted point of the blade, and she thrusts in his chest because that's what he had to do. She like twists the blade. There's like smoke. He gasps and he turns to ash. And there's this big white like light explosion. His ring falls to the ground, and Bianca nods to her, and then she nods back. It's like they do they do that the the head nod thing. But it's not over. A gun cocks. Laurel returned with a gun, and Wednesday's like, you brought a gun to a sword fight? It's probably the first smart decision you've made today. Laurel says that she might not get to kill all the outcasts, but she's like, at least I'll get to kill you, Wednesday. And then a bee lands on the gun. She looks at it, and then more bees arrive. And she like lowers the gun to like swat them. A swarm arrives. And then she, it's like, you hear some gunshots? She's like, is she really trying to shoot bees? Then she's on the ground screaming. Eugene is there. He's like, that's what you get. Wednesday's like, I'll take it from here. She tells Eugene to turn around and she stomps her foot down in Laurel's face. So I don't know if she killed her or just knocked her out or what. Because then school is, is um, the whole school is out in the woods. Ajax sees Enid, runs to her, helps her with the, to, you know, to get to the others. She's like bloody. You know, She just has her jacket on. And she's like, where's Wednesday? Then she sees Wednesday, Eugene, and Bianca. She runs up and she hugs Wednesday. And Wednesday kind of looks at her and then hugs her back. It was so sweet. Such touching. I mean, I, I actually got a little emotional because I don't, I guess I'm just a wuss. I don't know. But I, I, I like that. So then in her room, she's typing. Uh, Lurch picks up her cello. So I guess that's the last of her things. She types on paper, the end. And then, question mark, she adds a sheet to the rest in, like a, in a case and closes it. 
So Wednesday stands in Weems' office and looks at like the empty desk. Enid comes up. She's like, I hate to admit it, but I'm going to miss Principal Weems. And Wednesday's like, she could be a real pain, but she was tough. And she died for the one thing that she truly loved, this school. And she's like, for that, I have an immense respect. Enid's like, and she was one of us. Enid says that now that classes are canceled for the rest of the semester, Wednesday has to come visit her in San Francisco. You know, she can pretty much guarantee fog and drizzle every day. It's like, what? It doesn't fog and drizzle every day. At least not where I've been when I worked in the city. And Wednesday's like, sounds tempting. Wednesday calls out to Bianca. She's like, I owe you a thank you. And Bianca's like, we're getting that fencing title next year. So don't let killing one supernatural pilgrim get to your head. And she smiles. So it's good that they're, they're friends because the, the whole rivalry thing is just lame. Wednesday sees Xavier up on the stairs, like in the, the landing part. He like waves. So she goes up to him and she's like, I hear you're a free man now. And he's like, yep. He's like, all charges dismissed. Then he says that when he was in the cell, he said a lot of things. And he's like, you know, being your friend should come with a warning label but I don't know a lot of people who would take an arrow for me. He's like, so welcome to 21st century Adams. He gives her like a black gift box inside. There's a phone. And of course it's black. He's like, my number's in there already. And she's like, that's a bold move. I hope you're not expecting me to call. And he's like, no, never. I'd settle for a text though. And she doesn't say anything. And he's like, you know what a text is, right? And she's like, goodbye, Xavier. And he's like, Hey, are you going to be back next semester? She keeps walking. Yes? No? Maybe? She doesn't answer. The Adams car drives out through the gates. She's sitting in the back. She's looking at the phone. And then unknown contact. New message. So it's it's obviously not uh, Xavier because he said he put himself in her, her, her contacts. So she opens it. There's a picture of her reading uh, with Tyler sitting across from her at the weather vane when she was looking at the diary. Uh, I think it was that book. Um, there's a picture of Xavier giving her the phone and then there's a, a message. I think, was there another picture? But then there's a, a message like, I'm watching you. And there's like two eyes. And then there's an animated video of a like cartoony Wednesday standing there and his huge blade goes to her head. And she thinks, my very first stalker. She's like, Maybe this forced vacation will be more interesting than I imagined. Unlike my novel, not ever every thread has been tied up, nor every question answered. Secrets are still lurking in the dark corners of Jericho. And then the sirens are like driving towards him. So Tyler is in the back in a straight jacket and chains. It's like a like a police van or a truck thing. And then she wonders, she's like, where were Laurel Gates and Tyler just pawns in a bigger game? Will today's stalker become tomorrow's nemesis? Then Tyler looks forward, and then he changes into the monster, and it fades to black. He's like, I know the suspense is killing you. And that's where it ends. So the question is, was there someone else involved? But Tyler is still alive. And I don't know if Laurel, if Wednesday stopped, crushed her head or what. So they could come back. There could be more. And I just really enjoyed that show. I, I just think there is just a lot of charm to it. So that is Wednesday season one. And then this week's main feature, sort of, I guess, is Doom Patrol. 
So season four is here. This this is such a a, a weird and cool show. I, I love the fact that we have this show. I'm so glad that we got another season. I was worried that they were it was just going to mysteriously end. So they dropped two episodes. Let's just get to it because I need to I need to end this podcast. Uh, my uh, my nose i cannot tell you man it is so like stuffed up and dripping and i got like tissues like all over it's so nasty <laughs> but that's not what you're you're here to listen to so doom patrol season four episode one doom patrol which i don't know if they use that or not it's usually like something like, i guess everything is patrol um so it's the future there's like this ghost town it, you know, it literally says the future there's like some scavenger, someone like walking, like covered, wearing a hood. You see a Cloverton sign on a building. Um, the person uses a medical detector, then starts digging, finds a watch, and then tosses it. Takes off the hood, it's cyborg. And then he like raises his hand, he has like a bow caster on his arm. It kind of looks like low tech, so it's not quite, um, you know, if this is the future, like what's going on? And then the ground starts rumbling. Cuts to the present. Uh, there's this this was some woman recording uh, you see observation of Doom Patrol by Dr. Harrison, day ninety three. So Dr. Harrison is one of Kay's personas that kind of like took over. So day ninety three, the codpiece mission, and she's like, it's been three months, and her decision to stay continues to pay dividends. She says they've been working as a superhero team named the Doom Patrol. So, um, we have, so Codpiece is in this episode and Cod, I did a video on Codpiece. It's, I don't know if it's, if it's viewable on Comic Vine. I don't know if there's ad block. I can't see videos on Comic Vine anymore, but there's a, a video that we did. I did like the history of, it's kind of like a, who is Codpiece, but I had a bunch of people front run the office. It's just saying codpiece over again. So it kind of brings back some memories, especially Ryan. Miss Ryan. Um, so codpiece robbed a credit union. He has like this duffel bag full of cash. So in case you don't know, codpiece has like a, a, con, a cannon like at his crotch. Dr. Harrison continues. Rita has been, or she's carved out like a starring role for herself as a team leader because no one else wanted a job. So Cliff, um, Jane or Dr. Harrison or their Larry and Cyborg, they run at Codpiece. Codpiece fires like some energy blast, they go flying. And then Harrison says that Rita somehow led the team on seven successful missions, so she tackles a job with endless enthusiasm despite the lack of cooperation or respect from her teammates. So they they don't really care so much for Rita, which is unfortunate. I mean, yeah, she can be a little annoying, but I think she has good intentions. So then we see Rita's giving them a briefing on the mission to go after Codpiece. So this is like, must be right before. Madame Rouge is there too. And Rita asks, is like, any questions? And Cliff says that he's like, I'm not going after Codpiece and I'm not doing code names. And she's like, well, questions begin with who, what, why, how, and where. So he says, he, you know, why does she get to pick the code names? He's like, because they suck. And she says that when he spends all the time researching, getting paper cuts and inky fingers, and he can come up with them. Until then, he is Robot Man. 
Dr. Harrison is Crazy Jane because she just wants her prime member Jane. Larry is Negative Man. Vic is Cyborg. And Rouge, you're Dog Poop McGivens. But she doesn't say Dog Poop. Dog, wait, what'd she say? Dog, shh, you get it. So she's still mad at, at, at Rouge because she killed that dude she liked back in the past. <laughs> Rouge takes Rita's crap because she desperately wants to make amends for Malcolm and his sisterhood. Rita also attached the brain's robot head to the time travel machine. She also solved the time travel memory loss problem. So again, that's impressive because it used to be you time travel, you lose your memories. So the solution was jellyfish. They have to put one in their heads. They don't know why, but that's just how it works. So it cuts back to the present, them getting knocked back by the blast. They get up. She tells Robot Man, Flink left. And he ignores her. And she's like, Robot, Flink left. And then she's like, Cliffosaurus. And he's like, what? And then so he goes, while uh, Codpiece shoots at Cliff, Rita stretches her arm, grabs his Codpiece, and like kind of turns him. Then she orders Dog Poop McGivens to draw his fire while the others get to safety. And she's just like, what and she so she agrees and she goes out and he starts like shooting harrison says that rita take or she tries to control the team's every move because she can't bear to lose another loved one diagnosis a textbook perfectionist slash narcissist with survival skills and ptsd vic and his father repaired most of robot man's smushed bodies so they're still waiting for parts for his other arm uh she comments on cliff's low iq so his diagnosis Grade A Simpleton. The hero formerly known as Useful has uh, uh, settled into place as a team's one-man IT squad. So Vic, without his tech, Rita prefers that he stays out of harm's way, but Vic is unsatisfied with this new role. Um, he yearns to do more. So Vic sees this guy come out of Codpiece's van and he yells at him and dude's like, I'm not part of Codpiece's crew. He's like, I'm just an IT guy. And Vic's like, what do you mean, just an IT guy? He's like, you're an integral, integral part of his villainy. And then he's like, yeah, I am important. Then he turns around and squats. He's like, he's like, I, I can't do it if people are talking. And Vic's like, what? And then his pants split apart, his butt cheeks part, and a, this can, big cannon pops out of his butt. And Vic tries to cover himself. But then Elastoman, her arm reaches out, bends the, the cannon, and, and it, I guess it hurt the guy. <laughs> so diagnosis, personality, dysmorphia, and social cowardice. Larry um, and Keeg have been getting on like a house on fire. It might be the first case of a host developing Stockholm syndrome towards its parasite. Diagnosis, good old-fashioned self-loathing with a healthy dash of codependency. Madame Ruse refuses the jellyfish over um, on every mission on, on her head because it gives her the briefest respite from remembering her betrayal of Malcolm and his sisterhood. On her hand is written, do whatever the shrill ginger says. And then Rouge asks um, what to do. And Rita says, transform it into something to psych him out. So Rouge turns into codpiece and does, does some thrust or whatever. And the real codpiece like, are you body shaming me? He's like, that's some next level evil. Harrison says that 
Rouge's memories always return with a vengeance. You know, she's created a nasty ritual that's a form of psychological self-harm. And um, she searches like some some name, Shelby Dockery, uh, on like an internet. Doesn't return any results. She's like, the results are always the same. And she has to accept that she's sent hundreds of people to uh, obsolescence. She looks up some other name, Rhiannon Cox or something like that. Same thing. So diagnosis, self-loathing doormat with sociopathic tendencies. As for Dr. Harrison, she's managed to find her own place among this bunch of walking tragedies. One that makes use of her specific talents. So she walks between Codpiece and Rouge and she's like, come now, Mr. Codpiece, who are you really mad at? It can't possibly be me. You don't even know me. Then they get arrested. And Codpiece says that he's like, I know Dr. H is right. He's like, I only get one phone call and I think it should be to my mom. And she just like smiles. So she says Doom Patrol is the El Dorado of psychological dysfunctions. And she could publish volumes based on her observations. Harrison asked Jane, why isn't she looking for Kay like the others? And she said, because she can think of better ways of wasting her time, like trying to eat her own face. Jane says that you know she's doing something actually useful. And so this is like in the underground, like about an observation thing. She's trying to figure out what the girl needs. So there's more bickering between the two. And then Harrison says that the girl disappeared on Jane's watch. Jane asks her to remind her where she got her medical degree from. Vic and his dad talk while working. Vic admits that this isn't as easy as he thought it'd be. They finish Cliff's arm. And Vic says that he he couldn't make it the same as it was before, so they made it better. And Cliff's like, it looks the same. Vic's like, they gave him a sense of touch in one finger. Silas says that, but if things work out... uh, how they're supposed to over time the nanites will spread over to the other fingers so he hugs them and then everyone including rouge smiles then they bring out a couple trays of stuff to calibrate his touch and so they want to like let's start with cotton he's like i'd rather not he's like i haven't touched anything for 40 years so the thing i'd like to touch first is my grandson so he puts like an oven mitt over his hand and Silas is like, uh, not to be a spoil sport, but technically you're touching that mitt. And he's like, uh, that doesn't count. He's like, I, I can feel it soft, but so he wants to use uh, the time machine to go to Florida. And Rita's like, it's a crime fighting device, not an Uber. And then they kind of gang up against her. She's like, fuck. So then Rouge talks to Rita alone, says that you know she's assumed if she consumed enough of her poop that it would earn her forgiveness. And Rita like chuckles. Rouge says that um, it's probably never going to happen. And since her presence here is a constant trigger for Rita, perhaps once they all return from Florida, it might be best if she finds somewhere else to live, unless Rita can find it in her heart to forgive her. Rita says that she hears there's a lot of nice efficiencies in Cloverton. It's like, if you don't mind getting scabies. Rouge is like, well, actually, I don't actually. And, and she's like, you know, maybe Rita could. And Rita just walks out of the room. Put the jellyfish on her head. Rita wants Rouge to use one so she remembers every word of her promise to leave their, her home. She start, they start singing Sweet Caroline when they're time traveling. The time travel takes a bit. It's like they're driving for a while, which is weird. Then there's a woman screaming out like in the time screen, and she like, kind of smashes against like the, the glass. And Rouge is like, wait, I know her. And she's like, 
she likes to watch people pee. And she's like, no judgment. And Rita's like, that's Isabel Feathers. And Cliff's like, who? Rita says it's a talentless wannabe who portrayed her in the Cloverton's Our Town. And Vic's like, uh, should we let her in? And Rita's is like, no. So Larry, <laughs> they just leave her out there. Larry asks, it's like, what's she doing in a time stream? And Rouge is like, uh, that might be my bad. So this is like when she landed and she fell in the hole or whatever. Like, so they're about to land. They're no idea what year. Uh, and then they land in the future. Vic says Shipley is overheated. So it'll be a while before they can leave. Rita says that she thinks um, she knows where they are. There's a sign that says Cloverton's 2019 decimation. Larry sees a sign that says, have you or someone you know been infected? Do the right thing. And there's like a picture of a handgun or like a shotgun. Then they hear a growling. And Rita's like, executive decision. So they all run. They they find some place to, to hide, like a building. And they comment how the air inside is stale. So they're like, is someone living in there? Rita says that she found something. There's a bowl of Vienna sausage and Skittles. And Vic's like, I haven't seen things like this since the 70s. He's like, and we were high as fudge back then. So he reaches and Rita's like, wait. And as soon as he touches the bowl, a cage falls on top of them. So they yell at Cliff. Then Larry's like, you had to touch the wiener. Someone walks up to them. It's a cyborg from the beginning. And he's like, welcome to 2042. And Vic's like, who is that? Whatever. Because, you know, they're, they're all in a cage. So he has to like push his way through. And then, oh, I forget who said it. Someone's like, it's you. It's like a, a rusted, busted version of you. I don't know if it was Cliff. So Vic shoves his way to front because since the cage is so cramped. And he looks at himself. He's like, what's that on her face? Is that tech? And he takes off the face covering. So it's like kind of like a, a mask and a hat or whatever. Then he's like, who wants tea? So future Vic said it all started about 20 years ago. Cloverton was the epicenter. The spread uh, was slow at first. Then after a few weeks, it was everywhere. And then Cliff's like, he's like, well, just cut the drama. And just tell us what happened. So future Vic says that the papers call it the butt apocalypse. And Rita and Roosh snicker. Rita says that that's impossible. Roosh says they killed those buttholes. But apparently they missed one. Because there was one that ran, was like walking down the road or at, during the end credits or something like that so it was apparently infected with zombieism so that the world has been taken over by zombie butts harrison asks he's like well where are the rest of them like the doom patrol future vic says that they tend to stick to their rooms for the most part he's like go say hi if you want so they all get up but then future vic calls rouge he's like you won't find anyone in your room and she's like oh so she goes through possible reasons she's not there. And then she's like, I'm dead on her. And future Vic's like, actually, I don't know what happened to you. He's like, you moved out right before the poop kicked off. And then we lost track of you soon after. So she says, then she could still be out there. And he goes, he says he goes out like every day. He hasn't run into any survivors. And then he asks Vic to walk with him. He wants to show him something. So Larry, Rita, Cliff, and Harrison opened her rooms and, you know, so it cuts to like a four-way shot. And they're all like, WTF? So Larry's room's empty. There's a bed, but there's like nothing in there. Rita sees like a ghost version of herself in front of the makeup mirror. She tries talking to herself. And then she's like, this is a, a death hoop. And she says that 
she knows what she's doing and she's like stop it she's like i did that in a movie and future rita's like oh i was hoping you'd forget about that so then she tells rita she's like they're dead everyone's dead harrison is talking to ghost harrison future harrison blames her for doing her experiments whatever so now Kay's dead Rita looks at an old newspaper clippings and like some, you know, she's like, she left the room. There's like calculations, like just, you know, whatever documents, files. Cliff talks to ghost Cliff. Uh, Cliff wants to know what happened, but future Cliff says that he doesn't want to know. And then he's like, well, what happened to, to us? And uh, future Cliff's like, uh, Parkinson got them. And Cliff's like, I don't believe that. And he keeps asking. He's like, bro, you don't want to know. Larry goes through like the old greenhouse. He finds future Larry crouched in a ball. He's like, where's Keeg? So future Larry says that he doesn't live here anymore. And Larry's like, like, what did you do? He's like, what happened to him? And then some electricity starts like zapping her like around. And he's like, Keeg? Then little Keeg comes out of him and then the two interact. So there's like Keeg grew up. He's like not a little shape. He's like a big shape. Rouge is looking around. And it has, uh, you know, one of the, the sheets of paper that she found. Then Vic comes, like, hopping in. He's, like, tied and his mouth is taped. And so she, like, pulls the tape off. He's like, he's going to steal a time machine. Then it cuts to 45 minutes ago. Future Vic says, you know, sooner or later, um, if they don't get eaten, they're going to make their way here. So he's talking to the ghost Doom Patrol. He tells them if they keep them occupied, he'll double back and take Shipley um, Ghost Harrison wants to give their past selves a chance. So maybe with their guidance, they can avert this terrible future. There's a pause, and then they all start laughing because they're like, they're all a bunch of idiots. Like Harrison's laughing too. And then Cliff's like, I can't believe that you know she got all through you know through all that with a straight face. Future Vic walks to Shipley. Regular Vic yells, going somewhere? And future Vic's like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fight you. He's like, I bet you don't, old man. He raises his arm and his wrist bowcaster pops out. And he's like, this is for the best. And Vic's like, how is stealing a time machine instead of telling, you know, us how to fix it better? He says that you're just going to mess it up. But then he's like, you're the ones who messed it up. And future Vic's like, he says that where he's at, he won't hear him because so because Vic is going through whatever all this stuff Rita's like well what about us are we in the right headspace and he says that they better be he's like they're here the butts have arrived so Harrison wants to leave he's like she's like they can't win Vic's like not until he tells us so he tells future Vic to come with him and fight the future but future Vic says he'd rather get bit by zombie butts so he doesn't want to go back in the past with them because he, he just just want to relive that time in his life and Vic's like then I'm not going either and future Vic throws him a machete so they start fighting like the, the zombie butts that are coming Rouge ends up di- distracting Vic by posing as his father and then Rita uses her arm you know stretches out grabs him launch sequence started and then future Vic shows up at the window and Vic's like, we got to let him in. They're like, you know, the doors won't open once launch sequence has started. So future Vic kind of like motions to the side that he gets overtaken by the zombie bus. So they're all silent during the trip. They arrive somewhere. Then they, they climb out. Vic sees a message on the, the front of the ship. It says, you can't have it all. 
Larry's with Keegan in his room. Keegan is like agitated. And Larry, he's like, well, you know, what if you could write a note or something? And, you know, he it's like, what did future Keegan show you? Harrison goes to talk to Jane. He's like, did you see? And she's like, I did. And Harris, she's like, you know, Harrison was right. She was hiding out in Kay's memories because being primary is hard and it's fudging draining and she needed a break. But after what she saw in the future, you know, she's going to go up right now and so help her. And then, you know, she will chuck her face first into the fudging well if she, and then Harrison crumbles the dust. And Kay is like standing there and Jane's like, where have you been? And And she's like, what happened to Dr. H? Kay's like, don't. She's like, follow me. And Jane's like, listen to me. And then she wakes up and she has a pouch with like puzzle pieces, but they're like all kind of blank. Rita puts on her, put, puts her costume in this box. So she like, she's putting it away. There's a knock on the door. It's, it's Madame Rouge. She asks if she thinks it was random seeing Isabel feathers in the time stream. It's like, you know, they both say that they're not sure. Rouge says that it might be worth finding out. And Rita's like, you're not leaving anywhere, are you? And she says that given what she's seen in the future, you know, it's probably for the best. Half of Rita's face kind of droops a little bit. And she's like, well, is it just, just the poopy cherry on top of a poopy Sunday made of poop? And she closes the door on her. Vic thinks about the message. Um, he's like, fudge that. He he turns on his lap, laptop. He messages uh, Derek Hayes. He's like, He's like, he messes him. He's like, do you want to get together sometime? Cliff still has the oven mitt on. He says to, you know, his grandson, he's like, I will touch you, but first you have to, I have to stop the butt apocalypse. So he's like, so fudge your future. And he drew like a face on the, the oven mitt. Then there's like the final scene. He's, there's like these hooded knights standing around this like round table with a pentagram. And there's like something in the middle at first I thought it was a rabbit, but it might be a guinea pig named Bunbury. And maybe I'm supposed to know, but whatever, I don't. So Will Willow B, the the sort of John Constantine substitute character, he comes in and says that he was he's like, this better be important. He's like, I was in the middle of Grand Norton. Uh Bunbury says, and it's like in some other language, it's like subtitle. The flora and the fauna have made an urgent discovery. And it is like photo appears. And the dude said, uh, Willoughby, he's like, he's like, you can't be serious. Like, this is stupid. It's it's a it's a hoax. He's like, he's not real. Squeak, squeak. The flora and fauna don't make mistakes. And Willoughby says that the prophecy only mentioned the butts. So it's like, now, if this is real, if this is really, really real, it can mean only one thing. We're well and truly fudged. So the picture is like this field and like carved or written in there. It says, Immortus will rise. So, I'm not really sure who Immortus is in the DC universe. I know who Immortus is in Marvel, but whatever. Episode 4 to Butt Patrol. So, it starts off 2016. Um, someone, Elaine Stritch, proposes a toast. There's, like, mannequins. This guy gets his protective suit put on him. Like, there's, like, padding or something like that. Walks into the room with all the mannequins. He starts, like, collecting some, putting them in a basket, and putting other ones out something like that one of them is like kind of shredded whatever there's like this big gate and then he notices like a hole chewed into the wall he hits the alarm 
gas starts pumping into room he like runs towards the door something like snarls and then we see he gets smashed against the window and he's like bloody hands and stuff like that so whatever was in there got him doom patrol alarm goes off rita has a bunch of plans Vic says that they've been talking what they say they have to prevent it so she says that the best bet is do the opposite whatever they might have done and she says that she's wearing flats instead of high heels and you know she has ideas how they can add color to jane's wardrobe and perhaps cliff could try swearing a bit less he's averaging 37 fudges per hour Vic says that they all agree their best option is to change their approach they need to think big so the entire plan is at stake rita wants to go back to where they fought the butts as zombies you know what do they all suggest Vic says uh what does she say to a change in leadership and it's just like uh-oh rita kind of like stammers whatever she's sure that they can uh take a vote on it so anyone for her no one raises their hand for rita to remain the, the leader Vic asks for those in favor of new leadership they all raise their hands and she's like wow because even like larry raises his hand she's like we've been through this he's like Vic can't be leader because he doesn't have his tech He's like, Cliff and Larry can't because they're unqualified. And Jane doesn't even want to be leader. So she's like, I'm the only choice. It's like, if not me, then who? Who? So then it's, what about Madame Rouge? And she's like, really? And Vic says that she's not the only candidate. The idea is that she'll take over on a trial basis. He says that if she's not interested, then he, Vic says, he's like, you know, they don't need a former superhero. They need a former supervillain. Somebody willing to win at all costs. Larry says that she's the best to change everything. Because like Rita said, you know, but, you know, Rita has been working all night and found like the source of the zombie butt, the, or the zombie butt problem, zombie problem. She thinks it's this guy named Darren Jones. He must have been bit by one of them because he escaped. Rouge takes Rita's binder plans and she reads like what Rita wrote. And Vic says that on this mission, they're writing with Rouge. Then Rita's like, well, then you'll be one member short. She's like, I don't you know, want to go on a mission where I'm not wanted. So she leaves and Rouge is like, oh, that was painful. You know what we just saw. And it just shows or something, you know, blah, blah, blah. Cliff asks if they can just get on with killing Darren Jones. And she's like, sure. She's like, but I want to read what Rita put together first because she has no clue what to do. And she's like, so you know, you got to get ready to go. She's like, so we'll leave in one hour. And then they're dismissed. And then Rogue asks Cliff, you know, she calls him you know, to, to stay back. And she's like, we have to kill him. And he's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, no, let's do this now. You know, he's like, we can't hesitate. So then it cuts to 2017, that ant farm. This Dr. Margaret Yu enters the facility. Um, this guy's like taking her to see a creature that they conceived a year ago and bred to make an unstoppable force of nature. So she's this, uh, a linguist and she's supposed to form a means of communication. And then she sees the butts. There's like a bunch of butts. They're attacking the mannequins in that room that we saw earlier. And But there's, there's a few of them there. Vic is looking at online. He's gathering intel. Then he gets a text from that whoever Derek is. Asks him if he was serious about getting together. Because some of them are getting together on a Friday or something like that. Usual spot. So he's probably you know trying to 
set up like a normal life and you know do things like that but then the computer shows target acquired requesting drop off said and he's like booyah Larry tells Keegan in a greenhouse that he has to trust him and things will go back to normal. They have to stick together. And then um, he pops out of him again. And he's like, what did, you know, future you say to you or future Keeg? And Rita comes in. She's like, Judas. He's like, I'm a little busy right now. So she's mad that he voted against her. Jane decides to work on a puzzle um, that has no image on it. She pours out the pot. It's like a huge pile of pieces, like small, like bigger than the the smallish pouch then she she's like looking through the pile and she can't find any edge or corner pieces and she's like keep looking at everything like that she gets frustrated and she like kicks it goes down to kitchen and she grabs like a b- bottle of water or something like that and she sees vix you know he's upset he's packing a, a backpack so he tells her that erosion and cliff left on a mission and she's like you know she's mad that, that they left without her without them and then she's like where are you going he says that he intercepted a transmission report from the bureau of normalcy there's another zombie butt out there so he wants to intercept it and she says that he's like you're leaving me too and he asks you know he sits her and then he's like would you like to join me in saving the world and she's pretends like she's thinking about it and she's like sure then she asks about what about larry and rita you can hear like rita yelling it at uh Larry, so they're like they they leave. Cliff and Rouge are riding bikes. Cliff stops on the side of the road because there's like an abandoned car. And she's like, "This is a 1974 Grand Torino," and there's like you know it's like grass is like overgrown around it and stuff like that. He's like, "It was one of the first cars I bought when I was in this you know first started in the circuit." And then this tractor goes down the road, and Darren Jones. He's like a zombie, and he's like driving it, like singing and growling. 2017, at the ant farm, the zombie butts are singing and dancing. They're wearing like those little round show hats. Like, I don't know what, what you call them. Yu tells his general that they weren't just butts. That they're an entirely new species that they've categorized as gluteus morticus. She says that they're not just killing machines, that they're actually intelligent. Uh, the, the general is like getting bored. He starts like banging on the glass. She tries stopping him. Then the butts stop singing and dancing. They're upset too. They, you know, look at the observation window. They all like leap to it, like sticking against the glass. Then the general seems confused. He's like, they're upset with me. He's like, are you that much of an idiot? A lady um, thanks her for her work. Um, So you is like upset because they're still considering weaponizing them, you know, because they can obviously be triggered. And then the lady's like, you know, don't worry, you'll be reassigned or demoted if you don't, you know, don't agree with that. Larry's looking for Keeg. Rita runs into him in the hall and you know, she's going on about him stabbing her in the back. He tells her that, you know, she was, you know, she has to admit she was a pretty crappy leader. She only told them what to do and handed out gold star and demerits like they were little school children. So seeing his future made him want to change things and he says that he thought that she'd understand more than anyone she came back from her travel broken when she went back in time so he saw keeg separated from him he figures that you know, he must be to blame if he can prevent that from happening by going with rouge as leader so be it he can't um he's like i can't lose keeg he's like he's all i have left and she's like all you have left because like you know what about them 
then she says you know being team leader was all she had left now thanks to him she has nothing jane finds out that she and vic are supposed to be posing as bureau agents and she's like you could have at least told me and i would have you know changed she's wearing like some like old rock shirt or something like that and he's like i i told him that we'd be undercover and she's like well if we're are you like are you just doing this just so you know you'll be team leader and he's like no he's like you all made it clear how you feel about me as leader then she's like asked if he just wants to hang out with a bunch of normies you know like his, his other thing and you know he doesn't say no but he's like he's not sure what he wants then he asks her has she talked to Kay? and he's, he's like you know maybe what jane wants isn't the same as what Kay wants and then his phone buzzes Cliff and Rouge, they wait in the barn to ambush the zombie. Then they pop out at Darian. He like, growls and it's like subtitled. He's like, he says hello to Cliff. He's like, good to see you again. And he's like, I see you brought a friend. Cliff is surprised that he still understands zombie speak. He says that, you know, the zombie's like, I tried living a normal life there. He talks about the heirloom tomatoes he's growing. He's like, they're tasty, but they're not as good as human brains. He's like, you know, it's only a matter of time until, you know, he does something. So he basically wants Cliff to kill him. And Cliff's kind of like, he's caught off guard. Rouge um, pulls off Cliff's bike helmet. And, you know, he's, she's trying to get zombie Darren to attack him. Because then he starts to, you know, he can smell Cliff's brain. He charges at him. Cliff, like, slams him down. And he tries to keep him down. Uh He's like, you know, just like struggle like that. The oven mitt comes off and then Cliff starts like smushing his head and Rouge gets a flashback. I think, it was, I don't know if it was, was Darren, you know, it's like she stamps like a, a file when she was doing her job at the, the whatever thing. And, uh, you know, it's like designated weapon. And then Cliff feels something cold and he realizes that he's feeling the inside of Darren's head. And he's like, I just want to go home now. So this big SUV, like whatever thing, pulls up to where like Vic and, and Gene are. They, this guy, um, tells the he. So Vic says that his name is Agent Wolfman, and um, then he's like this, you know, with Jane. He's like, this is my associate, Agent Perez. So Wolfman and Perez. Vic says that he must be the butt hunter. So he mentions a year ago, the Bureau lost a bunch of butts. They brought him in for his skill set. He's like, some of them are dead. Some have been apprehended. But he recently came across the final subject. And he's like, it was difficult to track. And he's like, but butt hunting, you know, it's like chess. It's not Yahtzee. And Jane's like, why was it difficult to track? And he says that it didn't behave like the others you know, like it's infected and she's like, it's a zombie. And he's like, what's a zombie? And they're like, you don't know what a zombie is. So he brings out this case where, you know, it's like on ice, or whatever. And then, uh, so Jane's like, wait, where, where did you do with the real agents? He's like, he said that he called the butt hunter and had him come like an hour earlier like that. And she's like, but we've been sitting here for 45 minutes. And then you can see like this actual, like, black SUV is, is driving towards him. 2018 Ant Farm. Um, you is, is eating, listening to music in cafeteria. In the hall, you see butts are attacking everyone. Cliff's out there yelling, so she has no idea what's going on there. And then 
later she's in the, like, the control room. It's like a mess. And she finds like a, a big butt cowering in the cabinet. Rita's in the ki- kitchen. Larry comes in and she asks, any luck with your friend? And uh, Keeg is still like in the, the electricity, you know, and because of the everything keeps sapping. So he's like hiding in a house. Cliff and Rouge come in. Then Rita leaves. Rouge asks, she's like, you know, why are you down? Or it's like, we just saved the day. Mission accomplished. Vic and Jane come in with the crate and they're like, not yet. They say that after Cliff and Rouge went AWOL, he hacked into the Bureau system and there was a second zombie butt that none of them considered. Jane says that they went undercover and stole it. Rouge congratulates them and says that this is what happened when the team is given autonomy and to, to making decisions themselves so she's just like totally like bsing she's like we all deserve a gold star and then um they're like we don't want to start whatever so rouge asks cliff to dispose of it he's like with pleasure he so they're all there they leave like the kitchen he opens the case and then he like looks at it and then um he like sees it. He sa- then he starts thinking, you know, to himself or talking. He says that he felt something today, you know, for the first time in a long time. He thought the first time he felt something would be like a diaper wipe or something like that, or his, his grandson's like pudgy butt or something. I forget what he said. It said it was crushing someone's skull. Then he's like, you know, maybe I just need to take a nap. And he just like puts his head down right there. So, and Rouge is like right there listening out of stairs. So I don't know what that was about. Vic goes back to his computer. His phone buzzes. It's Derek again. It's like, question mark? So then he replies. He's like, my weekend just opened up. Oh, uh, Vic had mentioned to Jane about how he did interviews with Kay when she came up. Like how uh, not Calder, Dr. Calder used to do. So Jane's watching the videos of Kay being interviewed by Vic. Uh, she says that you know she's wondering what the underground is supposed to be. You know, what's it for? And Vic's like, you mean its purpose? And she's like, yes. She's like, I want to know what it, what's the, the the purpose of all the different personas. It's like they always said that they had one purpose to protect her. And Vic says that he's like, well, they do, don't they? And she's like, well, maybe, but something's changed. He's like, I don't think I need them to do that purpose anymore. And she thinks that they need a new purpose. She's like, otherwise, I'll be lost. So she thinks that they just need to figure that out for themselves. And Jane says to herself, a new purpose? She's like, what could, you know, what's her purpose if not to protect her? Kay mentions that Jay still thinks that her purpose is to protect her, is to protect Kay. And, you know, she's feeling lost. So she's like, she'll figure it out. If anybody can put the pieces together, it's Jane. Then present day, you arrives at home she pours a big bowl of cereal like while singing and she gives it to a big butt that's like singing and eating so they want the butt that she found cowering she must have brought it home and she's trying to train it keep it be good but that's not necessarily how it works that is the end of the episode and um this is because it's about to be the end of this episode episode too so it was it was a good like i said i i enjoyed the show it's just it's so weird and wacky and it's just so different just there's like the whole attitude and it's that's why i enjoy it so hopefully you enjoyed this episode 
and I apologize for the things I missed. I will try to make things up since um, the only show now that I have, I don't know if anything's starting this week. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. So I'm going to try to catch up on do on his dark materials. I don't know if I'll do three episodes next week, but we'll, we'll see about that. And then, um, was there something else? So that is going to be this week's episode. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Used to talk about comics. I will talk about comics again. Uh, last week I did an off my mind. Talked about Superman, secret identity, why he needs one, why it's cool. This week I'm probably going to talk about a movie. Um, I got two choices. We'll, so we'll, we'll see which one I do. Um, I'll probably do both of them maybe. If I do do one, maybe I'll do the other next week. But if you, but zombie butt, zombie butt, if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmat from heck. Yeah, so I mentioned next week we'll have Doom Patrol. I'm assuming there's only going to be one episode. And then I'll see how much of his dark materials I can cover. I kind of don't want to do three because I feel like that's just going to be like a big chunk of the show. And if you're not into it, then that's going to be like a bummer. We'll, we'll see. Um, oh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it. I also, I think I mentioned that I miss Rick and Morty. So maybe I can get that in there too. So um, I hope you're doing well. I hope I'm doing well. Next week's, uh, I almost forgot. Next week's big feature is going to be Avatar Way of the Water. So I, I need to, I think the you can watch the first episode or the first movie on Disney Plus. So you can check that out. But I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're feeling way better than I am. Hope you're doing fun things. And I hope you remember to be good to each other. Mm-hmm.